celebration here on kicking out at two this week i'm your host dave rosenbluth and no it is not my birthday but if you want to make note of that on your calendars january the 9th coming up i won't be offended with cash but it's the special guest co-host birthday this week my good buddy northeast wrestling independent superstar connecticut local the sexy beast bull dread happy birthday buddy he's going to be joining me this week as we're going to sit down and discuss his inspiration to get into the business his favorite wrestler the nature boy rick flair in the second installment of our my favorites collections we're going to talk some of his fondest memories of watching nature grow up as well as some of his personal accounts of working with rick flair while flair was moonlighting in northeast wrestling in 2009 but before we get into that i thought we would discuss a little bit of some events that had transpired this past week in the world of wrestling uh there was this uh this event it was uh, a pretty it wasn't that big of a deal i mean it was you know it, it took place on saturday night and you know they had quite a few people there i mean not that many i mean you know ten thousand, i guess you could say uh people showed up to this event uh you know run by a couple of guys that uh you know not too many people have heard of i mean i don't know should i talk about it uh i don't know uh, all right twist my arm all in <laughs> in all seriousness that was my attempt at trying to make a joke it wasn't a very good one so i apologize for those of you that didn't get the humor in it but uh yeah all in saturday night holy cow man I kind of alluded to it in the last few weeks, the running down the card a little bit and just, you know, the overall energy and feel heading into this event. And uh, first off, I'd like to thank uh, Richard Airy or Ray. I don't know how you pronounce your name. I apologize from the Save American Wrestling Group over on Facebook who uh, hooked me up with a link to watch the show on the, uh, the Save American Wrestling Group Facebook page. Uh, my Saturday night was all about all in and it was a fantastic show. Uh, definitely uh, a healthy state in the wrestling business. They sold out the Sears Center in Chicago. They had a great card. The energy for that show was just unreal. Uh, it had a very like cult-like underground ECW type of feeling to it, but at the same time, like it was on a bigger and brighter stage. Um, it's probably, in my opinion, I'll go as far as to say it's it's the 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 pay-per-view of the year so far. Um, WWE's put out a lot of stuff. New Japan, Ring of Honor, uh, even Impact Wrestling with Slammiversary. I kind of touched upon it a, a few episodes ago, but damn, man, all in was was all that and then some they delivered i mean you know starting with uh you know i didn't get to see the uh um the matt cross uh, mjf match i heard it was pretty good uh but uh i started watching when uh, daniels and uh, Stephen amell uh hooked up in the ring with jerry lynn as the referee and i'll tell you man Stephen amell if he were to ever you know decide you know hey i want to hang up the, the my acting chops and you know lace up the boots 
Dude, man, he was he was unbelievable. He was probably one of the best um, crossover, uh, you know, celebrity turned pro wrestler that I've seen in quite some time. I mean, you get celebrities that get involved and they're. Th- they're not fans, so they really don't get into it. But Amel is a fan. He's a friend of Cody Rhodes and the guys in Bullet Club. And he, he gave his 110%. And, you know, being in there with a guy like Christopher Daniels, a seasoned veteran like him, certainly helped make him look good. It was just a fun match. And uh, I was kind of surprised that the Chicago crowd took a liking to Stephen Amell. Um, but I think that they appreciate his hard work, and that's why they were um, they, they were so receptive to him. Because, in, you know, most uh, wrestling audiences, they don't really take too well to celebrities or athletes that, don't put enough effort and 100, 110% hard work into the presentation. And uh, Amel certainly did that. So with that being said, that was a great match. Um, energy in the building was awesome. And the, the overall theme of All In was just the, the excitement, the energy in the air that you could feel. And that continued throughout the whole show. I mean, the, the, the four-way with the girls, uh, Britt, uh, Britt Baker, Tessa Blanchard, Chelsea Green, Madison Rain. Man, it, at times the match seemed it was, you know, out of sorts. But the four of them just, you know, they brought it. And it was cool. Um Definitely, uh, you know, four ladies that are going to help make women's wrestling and continue to make women's wrestling um, one of the bright spots in professional wrestling. Uh, What was next after that? The the NWA title match, Cody and Aldis. I didn't expect it to go on in the middle of the card, but, um, you know, the match was solid. I wouldn't say it was the best match on the card. The moment, obviously, people paid to see was to see Cody win the title and be the first second-generation wrestler to wear the NWA title. And, you know, for, for that time, period uh you know in that match that championship was probably the most important championship match this year in 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 wrestling history um in 2018 i mean it was the presentation between you know the the both guys having like fight camps and coming out uh you know ufc style and it was just a it was a it was a great you know presentation the match wasn't you know there was a lot to be left to be desired when it came to the match but I personally thought it was um, it was definitely a, 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 a well put together presentation. And, you know, you can thank, you know, Cody and Aldis and, you know, Billy Corgan and, you know, whoever else put this together. I mean, it was truly awesome. And I think we're going to see a, a resurgence of the National Wrestling Alliance and the NWA title um, moving forward with Cody uh, being the champion. Uh, it's, it's definitely a good time to be a wrestling fan. It was a real cool moment. Uh, I, I can I can say that I've I've watched Dusty Rhodes wrestle as the NWA champion, and now I could say I watched his son Cody Rhodes win the NWA title, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, moving on, uh, Joey Janela, bad boy Joey Janela, and hangman Adam Page uh, had a wild brawl, tore it up in this uh, Chicago street fight, doing things I didn't expect I'd see from these guys. My first time watching Joey Janela, and overall, I, I thought he uh, you know, had, a, had a cool look and presentation to him. His style of wrestling uh, translated well. Well, I, I, I truly believe and, uh, you know, Hangman Page solid in the ring as well. So two guys worked real well together. I, I don't follow all the being the elite kind of stuff. So I didn't get the whole, you know, uh, um, he murdered a Joey. And then Joey Ryan came out later with the, 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 the penis druids. And I, I don't follow a whole lot of that stuff. And uh, so not because I don't like it just because I don't have enough time. There's only so much wrestling I could watch. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I didn't get that, but I mean, it got a reaction. It was fun. Uh, definitely a, a different spot, you know, different, something different brought to the card, you know, the, the, the hardcore slash comedy aspect. Uh, after that came the, um, 
the uh, uh, Omega Penta, which people are probably considering the match of the night and in the moment of the night with Jericho dressed up as Pentagon Jr. after the match ended and, uh, you know, attacking Omega, setting up their their match at the uh, Cruise of Jericho, Alpha Club versus Bullet Club, that six-man match that's going to take place at the end of October on the, the Cruise of Jericho. Just a, a cool surprise. Uh, I wouldn't say nobody saw it coming. I kind of had a feeling that Jericho was going to be a part of the show one way or another, but dressing up as Pentagon Jr., I thought that was really smart, really clever. Uh, Jericho is a master of his craft, and there's a reason why in 2018, um, at this stage in his career, he's one of the, the top draws in the in all of professional wrestling, which I think is really cool. Uh, great match between the two of them. It, it's, a, it's an indie fan dream match, and uh, I've had limited experience watching both guys. I've watched a little bit of them, and they definitely worked well together. I thought it was a very fun, exciting match. Moving on, you had uh, Okada and Skrull. Uh, Kazuchika Okada and the villain Marty Scroll uh, go at it and uh, I, I enjoyed the match I mean if I'm going to pick a match of the night it's between that and Omega and Pentagon although rumor has it that you know Scroll and Okada went 12 minutes too long and that's why it affected the main event but uh, nonetheless it was still a very fun match cool story told and uh, I, I definitely look forward to seeing those two hook it up again in the very near future hopefully soon because it was it was an awesome it was it was an awesome match I really enjoyed it and then there's the main event um, you had uh, uh, the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi, known as the Golden Elite, against Rey Mysterio, Bandito, and uh, Phoenix. And, you know, it was what it was. The match was cut short because of pay-per-view time. I guess, you know, like I said, Okada and Scroll went over a little bit and cut into the main event. And uh, it, was a, it was a fun match. Overall, I just thought All In was so cool to watch. Um, definitely felt like I was a part of something, watching something groundbreaking take place in wrestling. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, people out there that, you know, criticize my my uh my love and affection for this show because i i didn't follow these guys and their story as much and i don't follow a whole lot of ring of honor and new japan and i know there's certain people out there and you know who you are that are probably going to say i'm a bandwagon jumper well fuck you i really don't fucking care i had a great time watching it i try to watch as much wrestling as i can all different kinds of wrestling not just wwe um you know i try to watch as much as i can but at the same time i also have a real life too that I have to, you know, be a part of and, and tend to. And my whole life is not sitting on the couch watching, you know, independent wrestling or Ring of Honor or New Japan or even WWE and shitting all over everything or praising everything. You know, I have a life, too. Um, so... I just thought that, uh, you know, I'd send that message out there to certain individuals who, you know, want to blast me for, for enjoying the show, uh, even though I, I, I don't watch as much of that product as I normally do. I try to watch everything as, as best as I can and keep up with everything. And it's, it's, it's not easy, especially when you're 35 years old and you have a real life, unlike some people out there. But nonetheless, uh, you know, now that I got the all-in praise out of the way, I wanted to touch upon, before we get into the My Favorites collection, the second installment with the Sexy Beast Bull Dread. Uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in last week and checking us out, Chris Donovan and Donnie and myself, uh, talking about the best and worst stables and factions in wrestling history. And I find it ironic that, you know, that episode drops over at SoundCloud.com last week. And this week, WWE decides to put out a list of the top 10 factions in the history of professional wrestling. 
And this list, there's some there's some groups on here that definitely deserve to be on this list and there's other groups that I'm just scratching my head at and WWE has a tendency from time to time when when something is taking place in their current product and they're in the forefront they need to highlight that particular thing as a part of a list a number of years ago they put out a DVD of the 50 greatest superstars of all time and Shawn Michaels was number one on the list and it was just so happened it was a year not even a year after he retired and you know names like Hogan and Flair were farther down the list um so i mean you can't look at these you know lists and take them too seriously because sometimes you know people you know get into heated debates and arguments and discussions and life and death you know <laughs> life and death circumstances take place uh when when having these discussions but i'm, I'm not going to do that here because you know i'm a reasonable person i'd like to think i'm a reasonable person i should say but i will say that um there's a lot of bullshittery on this list. Um, the best factions of all time. The 10 best factions of all time, according to WWE. Number 10, uh, the Undisputed Era from NXT. Uh, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, as good as they are in NXT, and, and I do enjoy watching them in NXT, uh, I don't think they should go near the top 10 or even the top 20 because I don't think that, you know, as a group on television, they've really established um, enough just yet they've done a lot but it's still early in my opinion uh number nine which was a surprise to me the fabulous freebirds the original three michael p.s hayes uh terry bam bam gordy and uh, uh buddy roberts number nine i was like holy cow really um these guys in my opinion were the the blueprint for factions in many ways they were groundbreaking you know and they not only uh touched you know touched a nerve with with uh fans who are you know big fans of wrestling factions but also tag team wrestling as well which we're going to get into next week a little spoiler alert tag team mount rushmore next week kicking out of two but you know we'll save some of that for for later at the end of the show um no, coming in at number eight the nexus and uh i will say that you know i enjoyed the nexus watching them and and being big fans of of using these younger talents to 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 give a push or a rub so to speak uh and but although i will say that i felt like the nexus was was poorly handled at times their debut was hot and even some of the early stuff but um once john cena you know buried them or you know at SummerSlam, in my opinion um 2010 i just thought it was you know it, it went downhill from there uh, coming in at number seven, the Hart Foundation. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Brian Pillman, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. Definitely worthy of being in the top ten, in my opinion. I think they're in the top five. I mean, you know, we talked about it on the show last week. That family aspect and being united as a family and, and geographically splitting up the audience between USA and other parts of the world. I mean, I just thought it was a very unique um you know, uh, situation with the Heart Foundation. Definitely deserving of this list, in my opinion. Number six is the New Day. And uh, as much as I enjoy New Day, um, and, and as much as, you know, they've contributed quite a bit to the current day WWE product as a stable or a faction or whatever, um, you know, they've done a lot in tag teams. And I feel like if New Day kind of, you know, changed it up a little bit and reinvented themselves and didn't pick a different food group or food item to to uh incorporate into their characters um 
I definitely see longevity there. Maybe the three of them staying as a group, but, you know, attaching the Freebird rule to a singles title. WWE Creative, I hope you're listening. New Day is IC champ or US champ. I definitely see it drawing some money. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we see something like that in the very near future. And at number five, Evolution. Triple H, Randy Orton, Batista, and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Uh, I dug Evolution. I mean, I grew up, you know, with the Four Horsemen, and Evolution was a clear ripoff of the Four Horsemen. But, you know, Evolution definitely has their place on this list and definitely deserving of being a part of this list, in my opinion. Um, I, I could reasonably put them in the top ten. Number four, the NWO, the original NWO, the black and white, uh, Hogan, Hall, and Nash, uh, not counting the rest of the, the cast of characters that they had, but putting them at number four, um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I just didn't think number four for the NWO, you know, considering what the NWO accomplished, not just for as a group on television, but for the business as a whole. I mean, it was it was huge, you know, in 1996 when it first came out. Um, number three, DX. Can't argue with DX, you know, being in the top ten, um, but I feel like DX was inspired by the NWO and the edginess that the NWO brought, but DX kind of took it to another level with the over-the-top stuff. Uh, number two, the four horsemen, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham. Uh, the horsemen definitely deserving to be in the top three, in my opinion, I would have put them at number one because I just felt like they were the best, um, the personification of a faction, uh, you know, in, in professional wrestling. And there's been different incarnations of the horsemen. People could say the original four slot Barry out, put Ole in. They should be in the in, on this list, but nonetheless, the horsemen definitely deserves a place in, in you know, the best factions of all time. We kind of touched upon that last week and coming in at number one uh which might ruffle some feathers is the shield uh rollins reigns and ambrose uh as much as i dig them as much as i like the shield concept uh, for you know the current day wwe in, in most recent years uh these guys don't crack the top 10 same with undisputed era same with nexus and hell even same with new day i wouldn't put you know four of these you know groups in the top 10 of factions of all time but uh you know like i said it's just a time period right now the shields you know the you know reunited on television on monday night raw and they they got a a thing going against braun Strowman, and it is what it is so you know in five years when there's something that they want to push on you know on, on television and sell t-shirts and merchandise that that particular thing might be a part of a list um in the very near future to wwe it's very subjective but i'm sure that you know lists like this they come and go it'll change and uh that's that so uh now that i got all that out of the way let's let's get right into it this week here we are with our second installment of the my favorites collections this week here on kicking out at two and joining me to uh cover his favorite wrestler in the history of professional wrestling the, the man who helped inspire him to get into the business a dear friend of mine we go way back way way back Bull Dread, the sexy beast, Bull Dread. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing awesome, baby. Woo! Thank sexy you. as always. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me this week here. Um, let's uh, let let's get started with uh, just a little bit about your background and uh, you know your your fandom of of uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair growing up as a kid. Listen. My fondest memories as a kid watching wrestling with my dad is like I was actually thinking about it today. I'm like, I'm just, uh, 
it, the 80s was my favorite and, and what I remember about the 80s was NWA and the Horseman the Horseman is what inspired me to be, in, be get into the business and uh, you know ultimately Ric Flair is my uh, favorite wrestler and second would be Arn Anderson but uh, I would say anybody in the Horseman in no, no particular order are my favorite so it's uh, the NWA is what inspired me to get into the business with the excitement you know what was it about Flair uh, though that that attracted you to to liking him because Flair at that time was the the quintessential bad guy he was you know the, the top of the heap um, people paid money to see guys like Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and the Road Warriors beat Flair and the Horsemen up what was it about the bad guys at that time in the er, in the early 80s of the NWA that that made you and Flair in particular made you really like them they're the ones that you love to hate mm-hmm. you know they were the the bad guys, but they were the cool guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now being in the business uh, and being like, a, you know, at one point a top heel in Connecticut and a top face in Connecticut, it uh, I could see how they were because they made money by making other guys look good. You know, they didn't lose anything. Yeah. You know, they were the guys that liked, you wanted to see them get beat up and they did a great job doing that. They were essentially entertainers. So, uh, you know, with that being said, when did you decide you wanted to get into wrestling? When did you decide that this was going to be your, your, your passion? Well, yeah, I mean, as a kid, like, you always wanted to be a wrestler. But, uh, you know, as you get older, you know, like teenage years and, you know, then I started working. It was kind of like, you know, I was still a fan of wrestling. I just, you know, you always had in the back of mind I wanted to do it. But it wasn't until I would say the attitude era when I finally like this is what I need to do it was like the Stone Cold era versus you know Stone Cold versus McMahon I'm like this is what I want to do so I finally got the courage and the balls to call up WWE and I'm like and I asked I was like is there any wrestling schools that are around the area they put me to some automated thing and it said they won't even accept looking at you unless you have five years experience mm -hmm. I was like alright this ain't going nowhere Yeah. so uh, that was what 97, 98 and um, it was been a couple years later. It was 2000, summer 2000, where I was driving through Waterbury and I see a wrestling school on East Main Street. And I see a couple guys sitting there. They were, eventually, they were Jason Knight and Dylan Cage. And it wasn't until uh, a guy, a friend of mine, who worked at this work that I worked with, went to the same gym as Jason. And I went to a show put on by Acid Pro, someplace in Bristol, I believe, some bar. And I went up to Jason, and I asked him, I was like, you know, I want to, you know, really get into, you know, wrestling. And he told me what to come to the school, and, you know, it's funny, I ran the Bulldog Blansky at the, in the, in the bathroom at the same time, and I was like, hey, nice job tonight. I was like, I'm looking to get into business. He goes, stay away, kid. That's what he said <laughs> to me. And uh, I finally got the balls to get to school with my friend Tim, and I walked in, and I was like, I just, I want to learn how to be a wrestler. And uh, that was maybe the week before New Year's like Christmas week, I think. And it wasn't, uh, it was like the first week of January. It was holiday week. And that was when I first stepped foot in the business, in, in the ring. Wow, wow. And January how, 2001. January 2001, okay. All right, and how long before you had your, uh, your, your first match? Me and, you know, remember him as Pat Gunner. Yep. You know, uh, Pete, my, one of my best friends in the business, uh, he goes by Joseph von Schmidt now. Um, we trained, he actually started a day before my first night training was my first night watching 
which was his first night in the ring bumping. And uh, I think we trained a week. I trained a week. I had a week off because I had to work nights. Came back the following week. And within, by the end of the month, me and Pete were put in a, called a super fight. And we worked on our spots for like a week. And one of my fondest memories of that was, you know, Jason came up to both of us and he said, uh, unfortunately, we had a show coming up, but, uh, you know, you guys don't know how to do the basics of punch and kick, so you're not going to be on the show. I'm like, we're like, all right. So we kind of looked at each other, got in the ring, and we just started punching and kicking with each other. Next thing you know, we're on the show. <laughs> so within a month, it was a month before we had a first show. Wow. Yeah, okay. So, um, we had some ring time, you know, I mean, looking back, I got it on video, it absolutely sucked, but, um, it wasn't until a month later where I had my first singles match. And who was not that? Not my first singles, I was in a mixed tag, I'm sorry. And who, and, uh, who was involved in that match? Well, what happened was, it was, it was supposed to be Shaba White and Trinity and THT. Shaba White, oh, I yeah. remember that name. Uh, Shaba White and Trinity H versus, uh, Mercedes Martinez and Apollo. Okay. What happened was, I think that week, Shaba twisted his ankle or did something he was on crutches and i stood in for him at practice at during training and next thing you know i ended up getting that spot and i ended up doing the mixed tag and i had a couple you know people come up to me in the back you're like i just felt like it was natural to me like just my uh how like the way i was selling my my like the way i was in the ring you know my presence that's what i'm looking for yep so that led me to my first singles match against Pepsi Boy. And that was like March. March, Mar April, yeah. March and April of uh, 2001. Now, let's fast forward a little bit here because this is where our relationship comes into play. It was November of 2001. Uh, I attended my first Assault Championship Wrestling show at the Meriden Independence Club. Right. And yeah. it was myself and a group of friends of mine at the time, uh, Orlando, Jamie, and Paul, and we, were, we, we set up the ring. We were the ring crew. Yeah. Orlando yeah. had gotten in touch with Joel Gertner somehow. I think he wrote him a letter. And, you know, talked about wanting to get in the business. And Gertner said, yeah, we could use someone to set up the ring. Uh, and he said, I got a couple of friends. He goes, the more the merrier. Yeah. And so I don't know what Gertner's role was at the time in Assault, but uh, we set up the ring. And then that's where we eventually met you and Del Tsunami and Shaba and, uh, you know, Mike Mealy and, and a few other guys. And then Jason, you know, Jason Knight, who uh, for those of you unaware of who Jason Knight is, he's uh, the former bodyguard of just incredible in the original ECW. You know, he was the, uh, the owner of the assault championship wrestling uh, promotion and the school. Wasn't he the first ECW television champion? Um, you, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a whole lot of recollection of the early, early ECW. Um, there's a chance he did. I think he held the television title. I don't know if he yeah, was the he first. I think he was the first. Okay. All right. That's it. We will have to, if any of you out there that are listening, uh, you know, you want to hit me up on uh, social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or on Twitter at kicking out two K I C K N O U T and the number two slide to my DMS and, uh, you know, let us know. Give us the 411. Was Jason Knight the very first TV champion in ECW history? But yeah, so anyhow, um, that night on the card, uh, I believe uh, Chris Candido was on the card, Little Guido, uh, Balls Mahoney, Axel Rotten, April Hunter, um, yeah. yourself, uh, Kid Cash, Chris Hamrick, a lot of ECW guys that were, that were there towards the very end. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, you said your friend Pat, you know, he was, you know, at the time was he was. Yeah, it was me versus him. We were feuding. Yeah, you and Pat had a thing going on. I believe you were managed by Trinity at the time, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. She was your valet. And uh, that was my first memory of. I don't remember all the results of the of the, of the matches yeah. and things like that. It was so long ago, but uh, that was my first memory. And then I remember obviously breaking down the ring at the end of the night, and uh, you know, oh, you, yeah, you, you drove the U-Haul back, yeah. And then we just sat in the school after we put the ring back in the school and and talked wrestling for out, you know, almost till the sun came up. Yeah. What ended up happening was I ended up being in charge. Like I was there. I took. Yes. I ended up. You know, helping out. Then next thing you know, I was the one renting the truck and doing this and that. You know, looking back, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't miss any of it, but I would do it all over again. You know, yeah. we've had some late nights. Yep. Especially getting home at like four o'clock in the morning, yeah. and I had to be up at seven to go do because uh, I was getting married to go do a. We had to do a class or something to see if we're compatible, you know. So <laughs> I imagine doing that wrestling and putting the ring together, taking it apart, and unloading it. Then getting work in, you know, have to be awake on an hour sleep. Yeah. During at church, which are soon to be wife. Yeah. But uh, those were some great days. I mean, they were a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, like Jason was, you just said all those ECW guys. Some guys used to come down to the school and help train, you know? Yep. Like there was guys, if there was a show on a Friday, they would come in on a Thursday. We had Cash, Hamrick, you know, Balls, and, and and even Stevie Richards, even though he was in WWE at the time and he was on the contract. He, he lived came, locally, right? He, he lived in Wallingford, I believe. Uh -huh. And Crash Holly used to stay with him every once yes. in a while. So they would come down to the school. They've even, they've even been to a couple of uh, the MIC club shows. Yep. I remember meeting Crash at the MIC on one of those shows, yep. And, and, you know, like, and I know I think from what I heard is that the office found out they were there, but it was stuff like that. Like, I don't, I think, I feel that, like, schools today don't get to experience that. Mm -hmm. You know, and don't forget, like, EC, ACW, I feel, you know, it will always be an extension of ECW. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And because ECW was still fresh, even though they had, uh, you know, they had gone bankrupt and they were gone. ECW was still hot and they were still people fans were still hungry for it yeah I, and that's why I always look back and I was I've been told I missed it by a year you know missed I payment would have definitely used somebody like me I've been told that a few times yeah I, I, so, I, I definitely believe I definitely believe that sentiment to be true I feel like if you got involved a, a year earlier I could see you you know you know, working a guy like a Balls Mahoney or an Axel Rotten or, you know, who, whoever the case is. I could definitely, I, I could definitely see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. I mean, I remember some of the hardcore matches you were involved in in ACW. And, and you, you brought up a great point. At that time, ECW was still hot, even though it wasn't in existence. Yeah. And I think it was because I think the overall wrestling landscape at that time, especially for me as a fan, like, all right, as as cool as it was in some ways that the WWF was the only game in town because they beat the competition you had no competition and you know it there was a period in wrestling where i felt the change that was going on not just from the, the purchase of wcw and ecw folding but just like i said there was a there was this 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 transition that like i had i didn't have a hard time with it but when I go to the American Independence Club and I see guys like Little Guido and Balls Mahoney and, and, and Kid Cash and they were on TV six months prior yeah. and then they're in the American Independence Club and with all due respect, there's about 50 people in there to go see the show. Um, you know, you, you're definitely seeing how things 
had changed in wrestling at that time and then they, they were it was going to eventually go through a major change with just having one company you know afloat and not that many guys being on television but um yeah those were some awesome days like you said an extension of ecw the perfect example of that was obviously the the, the smaller venues that acw ran like the meriden independence club the arcadia nightclub in new yeah. britain but like the riders uh, motorcycle Rider cafe in, in waterbury or watertown i think it was the outdoor it's actually, it's actually uh it's still waterbury but it's right on the line of uh Plymouth and Thomaston. Thomaston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, why did I right say past motor vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to that. I just drove by there the other day last yeah. week for Guangdong Muzzy Field. But the, 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 it's just amazing, like the outdoor setup it had. Like it was just so cool. Like it, like ACW fit like in there. Like if 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 ACW ran shows like. I mean, obviously they couldn't because of the weather all year round, but if they ran shows there, it would have been like the new, it would have been like the ACW arena in the way that the bingo hall in Philadelphia was the ECW arena. Yeah, that's what they were trying to do, that MIC club. And I think the biggest crowd in that club uh, one night was the night that I uh, won the hardcore title, and there was like five plus, 500 plus. Really? I was, the most I was there. Wow. Yeah. I was there for that, and it didn't feel. I mean, looking back on it, I don't remember it feeling like 500 plus, but I just remember like people were packed in there, and nobody was sitting down, especially during your match at the yeah. end. Nobody was sitting down. Everybody was up. Yeah, surprise. Everybody was standing up. Hide that from my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, as you hear the noise in the background, that's my wife doing work in the house, uh, knocking on the uh, walls. So, uh, you know, don't worry. Dread and I didn't get into a hardcore match just yet. Uh, maybe that will be later off air. But <laughs> that's that's my wife, uh, you know, uh, doing some renovations in the house. So you'll have to excuse her ankle the. Must be doing better. Yeah, her ankle is definitely doing better. Yeah, for sure. She's, you know, it was it was a little it was a little rough. I'm yeah, not going to lie. back, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, eighteen like, years. I'm yes, since I was since I was eighteen years old when I knew you. I mean, like I, my, I, and we've talked about this before and I'll tell our listeners this story, but my, one of my favorite stories, and it's probably one of the most frightening things that ever happened to me was the, the, the ACW one year anniversary show at the Meriden Independence Club. Um, and, uh, ECW's John Cronus was a part of the show. He was tagging with Jason and there was a, I think there was like a tag team or a six man, but they were wrestling the mutilators Yeah, and it was a hardcore match. And, uh, Cronus looked a lot different being out of the business for a couple of years, uh, put on some weight, didn't recognize him at first until I think like you might've told me like, that's John Cronus. And I was like, Oh, Perry Saturn's partner eliminator. All right. And uh, anyhow, so it's the show. The end of the night rolls around. Where it was a great show. Everyone had a blast. They kicked off that La Familia storyline with yeah. with Mike Milano and Talia, who was you know known as Velvet Sky in TNA wrestling. And uh, lo and behold, I'm putting the ring in the truck, and there's no lights on that. There's no street lights on that street. No. Yeah, no. where 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 the truck was parked, and all of a sudden I just hear, "Hey, you." And I'm like, uh, who's that? And he's like, you, come here. And I look closer, and it's John Cronus and some other guy. I don't know if it was the guy that drove up with him or whatever, but he's got he's got dry blood on his face and a big gaff right around his forehead because he had obviously done a blade job. And he goes, you're you're, you're driving me to Philadelphia. I was like, uh, uh and I was you know I was almost gonna shit my pants. Now the car I had at the time was my parents' minivan, so I didn't have my own car. And we I had piled four or five guys in that van for us to set up the ring and then come go watch the show. 
And so I, I stalled and I just said, yeah, hold on, let me check with the other guys. But yeah, I don't think it should be a problem. I totally lied to him. And I ran inside and just as I was coming inside, you were coming up from that bar that was downstairs. And I just said to you, uh, I go, hey, someone's got to do something about John Cronus. He is so fucked up. He's trying to get me to drive him to Philadelphia. He's like, he looked like he wanted to kick my ass. And I just remember you saying, like, kid, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And I don't remember what happened, but I went and grabbed the I rest. Of, I, I, I went and grabbed the rest of the ring, and I think you or someone, a couple of the people, like, brought him somewhere. I don't know exactly where, but I, don't you, know where you, I know you drove the truck to bring it back. But I, like, uh, I think let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. And then, you know, so, so there's, there's those memories. And of course, you know, shifting over to uh, defiant pro wrestling, uh, Mike Milano, who was the, uh, one of the, the, the big names in ACW started his own group, uh, defiant pro wrestling. Yeah. Out of the, extension of ACW. Yeah, well, yeah. Extension of ACW, which was, a, which I, another, you know, great time in my life doing like security and the music and just, uh, you know, anything that Mike asked me to do, right. I would do. And, you know, having you there was very comfortable cause I knew you and we had a, a, a good relationship and a good rapport at the time. Um, talk to me a little bit about, uh, your time in uh, DPW. Well, at the time, I had retired. I had a retirement match because uh, I was having. I was going to be a father, and uh, I think I retired. It was July of '03. Had my final match was me versus Zombie, and I think Sandman got involved in it. Uh, I think if I remember it, I think that's what it, part of the story. Was, was that in ACW? In ACW, and I took three years off, and it came to a point where it's like I missed it so much that I began hating it. So I didn't talk to anybody for like a year. So I started trimming down. I went on a diet, and I lost like 20 pounds. And I ran into Mike Milano at a, at the stopping shop and kind of rekindled things. And he asked me to, he was like, he had a show coming up. And mind you, I would pay attention to things. He was like, you know, come down to the show. He invited me down, you know. You know, years later, I hear a different story that he told people, but we'll get into that, you know. And uh, we ran it, put him right into a storyline as me coming back out of retirement, to, and I attacked Jason. So, and, and I think the following show, uh, Pat Gunner came back. So, kind of rekindled everything, and we started off hot, and that's when we started up the dreaded guns. So, you know, a lot of the DPW years was, uh, the, all of it was me and Pete. You know, we were the dreaded guns, and our plans were to, our main goal was to try to get signed. And, yep. And, but little by little, it's like me and Pete, you know, we devoted our time. We stayed. We called DPW our home. And we would train a few days a week, and it just things started changing. Mike started changing, and you know I always loved him. I you know I always say like I miss the old Mike, and I feel that uh, Mike started becoming um, I don't know say maybe became Mike Milano. Yep. You know, so it's kind of hard to tell. Like if you weren't with him, you were against him, and we just didn't like a lot of the stuff that was going on. Stuff going on behind our back, and. Um, don't get me wrong, DP, I, we had a great time at D, in Defiant Pro because it was a home base, it was close to home, and we had a lot of great shows, a lot of tag, great matches, and but it got to a point where it's like we started becoming stale, like you didn't want to kind of bring people in for us, and and I don't know if he just didn't want to pay people, or he couldn't pay people, or whatever, he couldn't pay the rent, I don't know, but you know, Jason was there, and he ended up taking it over, and uh, he didn't want the school to go out, and he, uh, Mike left, and he got kicked out, you know, because Mike was living there with his girlfriend. Yep. And so Jason came in, paid off the rent, and kept the building for, like, another year. You know, ring broke, whatever, but me and Von Schmidt, Pete, 
decided to kind of just end things. He wanted to do things on his own. And I was kind of left in the wind because I still found myself in my career. But, um, you know, and Mike, and Mike started having health problems, and we never really got to uh, make amends. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I feel bad. Like, I was there at his deathbed, you know, when he passed away. I mean, I was there to, you know, I apologized to him. And I know he heard me, but he and Pete were there. And, you know, I regret some things of maybe not, like, you know, like you said, like, you know, you grow older and you kind of look back and wish you did things differently. But they, it is what it is. I mean, I've made mistakes. And, and I had, because I let my anger and my emotions take over me. Yep. And, and I started becoming bitter. But and that's when um, I finally got my shot with Northeast, with NEW. And I, you know, I heard that, like, Mike, you know, labeled me like, I'm the hardcore guy, you know, but they needed a local guy from Waterbury. And when I finally got my chance from Northeast Wrestling, that's all I really wanted. And now I'm going to be celebrating 10 years that I've been working with the company. So, you know, in wrestling, there's a lot of backstabbers. You know, people want to want your spot. People talk shit. They say this, they do that. Those do anything to bury you. And it really got to me because it's like, wow, how could people look at me that way? Me and Pete had a very, like, I would say almost like a target on our back for mm-hmm. being passionate for what we do. We just yeah. worked hard. Yep. And people have know I don't, you know, I'm, you know, being Italian is not a gimmick. It's my upbringing. Yep. You know, Von Schmidt, his parents are from Germany. It's yep. legit. Okay. My parents are from Italy. Yep. They came to this country with nothing. So they had no nothing, but they had no choice but to work hard. So it's like, to me, they instilled those those ethics in us that's why we bonded so quick yep and i heard stories like you know me and pete we called the fire marshal that's why dpw got shut down i'm like why would we why would we do that to people at our home base yeah. you know i just heard these stories yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah but you know things i regret Things I wish I could just, you know, put back you think know. about it though dude at the end of the day you did your part and and on Mike's deathbed, and you apologized for your actions. Yep. You you apologized for your contributions to the conflict. So right. at the end of the day, like you said, you you said confidently. Well, I feel like he heard me. I'm pretty sure he heard me. That there's nothing that you no. should be you know ashamed of in any way, shape, or form. Do you remember when they did the memorial show for Mike? Um, they did like a- I stopped doing. I stopped going. All right. So I'll give you a little brief background about me when it, my time with with dpw um i didn't set up the ring i did a lot of uh you know the djing because pj had the dj equipment and yeah. he was a talent so he trusted me to do the music for the guys and then at some point i was doing security for the shows and then i believe they got shut down because of a match that took place at the portuguese club it was a hardcore match and somebody went through a door and the door broke and the rumor I heard was was that they weren't running the Portuguese club anymore and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do next because there weren't that many venues available, I guess, for them. Yeah. And so um, I had gotten in contact with Mike and I just said, well, I'd still like to be involved. Can you just be, keep in touch with me? Let me know what's going on. And he's like, yeah, sure. Now, during my time there, and I'm not going to bury anybody, but I'm just going to give you my accounts of it. And if it, this comes out and someone takes it across as a burial, then by all means, this individual can talk to me. But there's an individual by the name of Joseph J. Alexander who was never a big fan of my, of me. 
Um, I didn't know him very well or at all, and I know that he was living with Mike for a little while, and he was setting up the ring, and I wasn't told to set up the ring. Mike brought me in to do other things. He brought me in to do security. He brought me in to do the, the, the DJing and, yeah. and doing the music for the guys. He never he said to me, he goes, you did your time setting up the ring in ACW. I want you to do something else. I got other people to do that. And I heard that I had heat from JJ over the fact that I wasn't setting up the ring and he, you know, would, he'd blast me to other guys that I was a mark, which I am. Everyone's a mark in the business. I don't care what anyone says. Everyone's a mark. So he would just totally blast me and there, and he, he was living with Mike. So I personally feel like, and this is just my intuition, but I'm not losing sleep over it at the end of the day that he went to Mike and didn't get me involved and, and, prevented me from continuing to do what I was doing with Mike because I never got a, I never got a call back which you know if that's true or not that's great if he wants to reach out to me and talk to me that's fine I have no problem hashing it out with him whatsoever I'm, I'm a grown man but uh so I didn't go to any of those shows and then I went to one show at the school because I wanted to check it out and I tried getting I tried talking to Mike at that time at the at the show that day during the intermission and he was busy i wanted to at least say hey listen i'd still like to you know do whatever help you guys out in any way i had fun doing this and i didn't get a chance to talk with them and then unfortunately you know things happened um i had heard that there were some issues with the school and with the rent like you said jason the ring breaking all the other stuff and then mike got sick um and when mike got sick i believe it was i saw it on facebook and i believe i reached out to um zombie Right. And just said, hey, uh, what's going on? Is he okay? I don't know what happened. I just kind of heard something. And he was like, he had a stroke and he's not doing good. And, you know, we're, we're all pulling for him, blah, 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 blah. And I wanted to go visit him because Mike was always good to me. He always treated me good. But I was afraid that at the time, and I was also younger, I was going through my own shit. But I was afraid at the time that um, with the people that were surrounding Mike, like, Joseph J. Alexander and those other guys who didn't really care for me, that it was going to, that there was going to be some sort of confrontation and some sort of tension. And I didn't want to do that, especially in that kind of setting, if he's fucking dying, you know what I mean? So I just kind of backed away and I didn't go to the service, but you know, I paid my respects to him. Um, I reached out to his kids, um, paid my respects to them too, because I was friends with them at the time on social media, on Facebook. So, um, but like you, like I said to you earlier, you did your part, man. You went and you you visited him. You told him you were sorry for what you know you contributed to the conflict. And at the end of the day, that's all you can do. You know well, what ended up happening is they were having a memorial show, and I was debating. I was fighting it. You know, should I contact here or there? You know, I was just really debating. You know, mm-hmm. and I contacted Shell and I asked her. It was like, you know, I would like to be part of the show for Mike. And you know, they said, well, they have a uh, royal battle royal spot open. I declined it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I had declined it was I was the first member of La Familia. That's like right. me and Mike, we were, you know, we that's what our bond was. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, looking back to it, it, it hurt me. I can say it probably hurt my ego a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I turned it down, you know, and... Um, you understood your worth, your, char- yeah. your, your character's worth, and that's why you turned it down. Yeah, and, um, you know, then looking back, I mean, would it have hurt? We wouldn't have done nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and I know I said maybe some things and, you know, I think me and uh, Jim Sullivan kind of get into it and uh, I apologized to him. I manned up for it. I was like, you know, I let my emotions take over yeah. a lot, you know, and 
just every you've heard that expression, promote what you love, not what you hate. I was so wrapped up in what I hated, I started becoming what I hated. Yeah. And and you promoted hate more than anything than what you love. Yeah, I was just expressing my emotions in a negative way. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe people are still kind of holding a grudge from it. I don't know. I mean, I got no problem with anybody. You mentioned, you know, JJ. He's nothing but a mark. You know, we I'm all, not, we he, all, we all we are. are marks. We but, all are. But people just, I say, take back door into the business mm-hmm. and think they know more than they really do. Yeah. And granted, I've seen him do ring crew this and that or anything like that. You know, maybe I think I've seen him in the ring once, maybe twice. I know he's I like, he know. transitioned into managing. Yeah, and it's yeah. fine. But just like anybody else, it's like, don't speak if you can't do something better than somebody else. If yeah. you can't do it equally or better, shut the fuck up. Granted, like I said, I don't have no problems with anybody because it's all in the past. Yeah. But it's like, don't be calling people something when you are just, or maybe worse. And, you know, and that's kind of the way I look at it. And and I just, I, and my accomplishments speak for itself. So yep. it's like, don't, I know what I'm talking about. I may have not made it to WWE, Ring of Honor, or this and that, whatever. I studied the business. That's why I've lasted this long. And... And I've, you know, and I'm an honest man, upfront man, and I'm a hardworking man. And my work ethics that was brought down to me is what made me, with the very little success I have in this business, by doing something you love, that's successful. And you're having fun doing it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're rich or not, you know. No. But to get off with all that, you know, like I said, I have no problems with anybody. If they want to say something to me, I'll be, be honest with them. And yep. I'll tell them the truth. Yeah. But, because um, I got nothing to hide anymore. Well, yeah, certainly, certainly, you know, you definitely have nothing to hide. An individual who didn't have anything to hide, uh, your inspiration, a guy that you think very fondly of, uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair. You talked Ooh. about your uh, your your early memories of his time in the Four Horsemen. Um, what is your what is your favorite version of the Four Horsemen? Uh, it'll it'll it, it's always will be the original, which is Arn Oli. Flair and Tully, you know, and Dylan. And uh, I never was really a fan of with Luger in it, but um, replace Luger with Wyndham. Now, Luger was my first. Luger, the Luger version was my first introduction to Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen in NWA wrestling at that time. Um, In later years, I had seen Ole. but Luger was my first introduction to it, and I looked at them like they were like a super team because you had Flair, who was you know the the probably the the, the dirty obviously the dirtiest player in the game, but the best wrestler at that time. Arn and Tully were the technicians, and then you had Luger, who was the muscle. Yeah. And I just looked at them, and I was like, who can stop these guys? Like Luger was like the guy that like you would pair up with like a Nikita Koloff or you know um, uh, even like uh, the Road Warriors. You would put Luger up against those guys. You know when the Horsemen would go to battle and uh i just looked at them as like the super team like wow like you can't stop these guys but my favorite incarnation is the one with Wyndham. yeah um because i, I don't know what it is i just loved barry Wyndham. i just thought he was, was always one of my favorites yeah like i i, I thought Wyndham was you know even though he 
I looked at him as someone I compare. I didn't compare him, but I I thought he was very similar to Dusty Rhodes, just based on the look with like the cowboy boots, yeah. the Texas. They had you know the, being from Texas and everything. Granted, he was much slimmer and taller, but uh, you know I, I he still fit in the Horsemen for for me. Like I, as a kid, I was like that makes sense. Like right. that, you know that makes sense that he's part of that group. Um, but yeah, that would probably be my favorite version. And that's the version that went into the WWE Hall of Fame a number of years ago. But um, you know, you talk about the original four, um, Flair, Arn, Ole, and Tully. Uh, talk to me about um, your memories of the War Games and their involvement in that against Dusty and a variation of guys. Well, you got to remember, I didn't, never got to see any War Games until, like, we didn't, we didn't we couldn't afford pay-per-view. We didn't, yeah. That was way before, like, the, the Scrambler yep. or anything like that. You had to go to the video store, like, six months later to find yeah, the tape. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it wasn't until I got, like, the War Games, uh, the DVD, the Best of War Games uh-huh. that came out okay. years back. Yeah. Like, that was when I finally actually got to see some of, like, the original, like, first ones yep. in, in its entirety. Yeah. And I didn't even realize how many there were. There's like 40 of them. Like, I didn't realize some of these. I'm like, damn. Yeah. You know, until like you got the, the pay-per-views that like with the, where I was actually had the, the scrambler and I was able to watch them. Like some yep. of the other one, like with Sting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just, you, put it this way. Imagine yourself being 10 years, 15 years old again and hell in the cell, you know, was just coming out or what's the elimination chamber. Yeah. So like, how would you, Put yourself, you know, back at that age again with that out right now. How yeah. would you feel? I mean, I, rem- I remember when Hell in the Cell came out. I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, the name was cool. Like, everything about it was cool. But you know what it reminded me of? The War Games. Yeah. Because of the the, the, the roof on the cage. Like, that, like, and just the whole, the, all the action being inside the cage. Like, I had, I had hoped, at, you know... 13 14 years old when hell in the cell came out that like oh maybe wwf will do a war games you know now like, you got to think about it it's like if they were to try to do a war games how, how many seats would they lose because of how much room it would take on the floor yeah so could it be done yeah they did one last year uh for nxt for nxt yeah they did two rings but they just didn't put the roof on the cage because they let the guys you know do the spots off the top of the cage and well, they I just kind of modernized it like they had three teams with three guys on each team so it wasn't like you know four on four and five on five it was like three on three on three so what is so, it like elimination no 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 same concept it's well actually i should say a little bit different so two guys oh shoot i didn't i didn't, even, I didn't expect to have this conversation but well, like two but two guys would two guys would start like the normal yeah and then or no, th- it was a two or three. It might have been be three. It might have been three. Three guys would start because it's three teams, and the team that won the coin toss or that no, it wasn't even a coin toss. It was like a random drawing. The team that won the coin or the random drawing would then get to have the remaining two members get into the match early so they would have an advantage so that all three members of that team would be in the war games match and then they would randomly go back and forth with the remaining two members of the other two teams wow, okay. it, it, it got a little confusing watching it at first there's a rumor that they're going to bring it up again uh it seems exciting but, yeah but it, it, to me it's like I can't watch wrestling the way it is. To me, like, I think I had this conversation with somebody not too long ago, and I was kind of talking about, like, music 
uh, sports, wrestling, music. Yeah. You know, every everything's already been done. It's yep. like you know, even like music. I, I I think like all the greatest songs have already been written. Yeah. Uh, wrestling is like all the greatest angles and gimmicks. I think have been done. Yeah. And, um, so like kind of bring it back. Like you know, as a kid, you know, it was exciting to see that. The, the 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 excitement I feel that like that I had watching wrestling, especially the eighties and nineties, is not the same. You know how would it like the, something to look forward to, because uh, what it is now, because you kind of see it. Whatever you see on a Sunday night on a pay per view, you'll see it on Monday night, and you'll see it on Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Wrestling then they had to build up till for a month. More than that, sometimes like six months. You to, know, just to. So to me, it's like the excitement is not there, but then you got to bring yourself to a 10-year-old's level. For them, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, At the end of the day, you go back to, you know, being a kid and thinking about, you know, what you felt at that time and what a kid feels now at that time watching it. It's much different, you know. This is something that you evolve as as a person and you get older. You kind of have to kind of, just like when I've mentioned before about wrestling, it's like some, I think some people that are in the business forget that they were once kids yeah fans yeah so so the horsemen kind of were the the blueprint of the bad guys in the war games and you talked about your favorite version of the horsemen the original four arn Oli, uh tully and flair um and those were the those were the four actually you know was only in the war game no Oli was not in the war games Oli was like a manager in one of the war games i think i think he was already out no yeah i think it was yeah i think it was out by then luger was the one in the very first war games that they had uh, they had done and the war games match was the horsemen against v- dusty and different variations of teams for you know like 30 or 40 days dusty. throughout a stretch dusty road warriors nikita yeah there's a war games on the horseman dvd um, that was there's no commentary. Uh, it was, I believe, in the the Orange Bowl in Miami, and it was Flair, Arn, Tully, Barry Windham, and I believe it was either JJ or it was um, they had a masked wrestler who ended up being it was a uh, Ray Trailer under the mask um, yeah. doing something, and it was against uh, Dusty Luger, Nikita Koloff. Paul Ellering and, yeah. and Dr. Death Steve Williams. Yeah. And I was like fascinated that like, why aren't the Road Warriors in this match? But I mean, I don't know the reason behind it, but um, that was a very fun match. And some of the, the hidden gems that you don't really know about, like I said, I as a kid growing up thought like the war games were just for special pay-per-views. And then until years later doing research and watching they toured with it. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a match every night. Yeah. They worked a match every single night. Um, which brings me to, we talked about this briefly off air, uh, dusty and flair. Yeah. It's gotta be probably your favorite rivalry. Um, when many. it comes, when it comes to flair. Yeah. When it, there's many, but flair and dusty, I mean, mind you that, that's that to me, that was the eighties. Yep. You know, that was the, the main like feud to me in, in the eighties that I always kind of remember. Then flair, I think in the nineties was, was steamboat, right? Uh, late uh, 89. 89 so, yeah, yeah there's the trilogy that they had in 89 although they had wrestled years prior yeah, yeah. Um, they had the trilogy in 89 that was that people talk about as being some of the greatest matches yeah, because, of all time because I didn't know how you know looking just like now we don't have we didn't have internet there to do research on yeah so it was like when Steamboat got to end up back to NWA with you know against Flair I was like I didn't realize there was a history with them yeah but 
I was already growing up watching Dusty and Flair. So the buildup to me, I, that it was established to me. So that was always there. Now, were you, were you a Dusty fan as well? Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, so let me ask you, as a fan watching Dusty and Flair in the heyday in the 80s and Jim Crockett promotions, Flair being the bad guy, like you said, you were a big Flair fan. You thought it was cool to like the bad guys back then. Um, what was what was it like watching the two of them go back and forth, not just in the ring, but on the microphone? I mean, as at some point, no matter how old you are as a wrestling fan, you still end up rooting for one person in a match. You know, yeah. there's still one person that you want to see win or come out better in, in, at the end of the, the the match. What was who were you rooting for in Flair and Dusty? Oh, was, as a kid, you know, always uh, Dusty. Okay, you know, he was the good guy. He always wanted to yeah. win. He was the one that would always like. He got beat up, and especially remember that time where they did a skit where uh, the promo where he, they chased him down and they beat him up out in the car and they tied him in up the parking lot in the parking lot, broke yeah. his arm. Yeah, I mean stuff like that. It's like the, you used to end up on at the end of a show and they're like, "Stay tuned till next week," and you got to wait till next week to see the outcome. Yeah, and like just watching just the horsemen, like they would just randomly come out and attack anybody. Yeah, uh, at the end of a show, and they would have to wait till next week to see what happened. So I believe at that time the horsemen the the only way they got away with it the characters got away with it was that J.J. Dillon and the horsemen bought the TV time on World Championship Wrestling yeah, to like, air the footage of them beating Dusty up in the parking just lot. Like Manoa, who, who else did that? NWO. NWO did yes when they when they. Um, when they ran the Steiner brothers off the road in the car. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting that you so, could, you brought that parallel so on that you, comparison. So like to me, NWA is what always had my attention. I liked WWF. Yep. I liked Hogan and everything, but yeah. just WWF was more gimmick based to me. NWA was more wrestling storyline and horsemen. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's what I've all like as a kid, like growing up, like I was obviously put on WWF at first um, and Hogan. And then there was just one day where I remember as a kid, my father said, you know, wrestling's going to come on a little bit, come in the room. And he we didn't have remote control at the time. We had the TV with the dial. Yeah. And uh, that's how old I am. And he turns the dial, and I go back, and I said to my dad, I must have been like five years old. I said, wait, you missed it. He goes, no, that's not that wrestling. There's, there's wrestling challenge. I said, but go back. And I was like, that's another wrestling. And I remember seeing the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. Yeah, and two of the greatest. Yeah, two of the greatest of all time that, that, that have ever done it in terms of tag team wrestling. And then that was my first introduction to Ric Flair. I think that was like Horseman. Um, uh, they were doing an interview or something yeah. to set up a match. I don't even remember what it was, but let me ask you something about you brought up the you know we brought up the Midnight Express. Um, I didn't know this till years later uh, by watching the Horseman DVD um, that the Midnight Express had a brief rivalry with the Four Horsemen. I vaguely remember that with two. Okay. I do remember that, and it was the Bobby Eaton Stan Lane version of the Four Horsemen, not Bobby Eaton Dennis Condry. Yeah. Um, so I was just going to ask you your thoughts on, on that itself, but I mean, you if go, you don't two heel teams, yeah, you know, uh, like I said, I vaguely, I vaguely remember, yeah. barely remember. That's what I should have said. Barely remember. But until, uh, I watched the DVD and it kind of pointed out, I'm like, wow, I, I barely remember that. <sighs> I mean, 
you, you know, wrestling, you know, it's not always going to be good guy versus bad guy. You're always going to have, you know, to throw something off. You got something else to do. You need some different storylines, change things up. Yeah. Heel versus heel. And normally, there's going to be a more popular team out of that. Yep. You know, it's like you could have, just like I, I've, you know, something that I've tried to teach in the students and, uh, and something that was kind of like, you know, uh, broke, broke up for me and kind of taught was like I listened to Paul Romo one time, to, you know, at school one time, kind of breaking it down. It's like, how do you establish a heel from two faces? How? One of them has to be kind of like, has to be the aggressor. Like, uh, one that comes to mind, and I'm sure you, two baby faces and uh heart uh brett versus sean yeah okay you know like to me breakdown is like i've done it a lot of times like i've done it with students you know last year they needed a match and i'm the you know i'm the i'm the face but i'm, I'm being the tweener is like i'll start off the match with him i'll get over on him then he gets over on me i get frustrated gets over on me again i cut him off and i'm not a heel i'm just at a very aggressive style mm -hmm. and at the end either if i put him over you know i shake hands hey great great fight if i win you know hey listen shake hands great fight whatever um it's just one of them needs to be the one that got outsmarted who needs to step it up and is like listen this is this is you know this is a game now it's like we're not friends I'm yeah gonna win yep so it's kind of like to me it's like you're not becoming a heel you're just becoming a very aggressive very more aggressive it's because you want to win the match so that's how you kind of establish, you know, two faces, one becomes a heel, whatever. But if you have two heels, I don't know. Like, sometimes I think when two heels are going at each other, one of them's going to come out being the face in, different, in a different light. I feel like from going back and watching that, that um, the horsemen, um, as much as they tried to make the Midnight Express the good guys, the horsemen were that good that the people ended up respecting and liking them more well, than anything else. Well, they were make their job was to make the other team look better and make more money. You know, it's like they talked. They were the cool guys, the one that talked. They're very arrogant. And at the end of the day, what do you want to see? You want to see the arrogant guys get their ass kicked, right? Yeah. But yeah. they didn't lose anything. They no. made more money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, a rivalry that you probably, um, well, I certainly remember. Uh, and we'll, we're going to skip the Steamboat rivalry because you and I, yeah. we talked about that. And that will be part of a, a future episode. But uh, Terry Funk, give me, give me your thoughts on uh, Flair's runs with uh, Terry Funk and Sting. Terry Funk and Sting. Well, separately. Just go, oh, yeah, separately. Yeah, yeah, separately. Yeah, separately, oh. yeah. Well, up until when Funk attacked Flair, like, I didn't really under know then that there was any type of history, uh -huh. you know, other than both being, uh, you know, NWA champions, but... Gotcha. They only had one match, right? This, the, the, the I Quit match, right? They had uh, they had a match at uh, the Great American Bash in 1989, and then I believe... Um, that led up to the I Quit match. That led to the I Quit match. Okay. Yeah, there were, like, different tag matches. Like, I know, like, Great Muda was involved, okay. and uh, um, Dick Slater was involved. So they were building up. Yeah. There. That's why they were putting in tags. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and tagging with Flair was Sting, okay. which would eventually lead to their rivalry following the stuff with Terry Funk, right. which we'll get into in, in a few minutes. But, yeah, give me your thoughts on, on Terry. Continue uh, with that. Terry was just, like... When I think of Terry Funk, I think of, like, I put him up there with, like, uh, you know, the very hardcore, you know, 
know, like Abdullah, Foley, yeah, uh, Bruiser, Brody. Like, he was um, the all-out, the ones that, somebody that couldn't be controlled. He's a wild man. A wild man. Yeah. You know, so I kind of put him up there. So I kind of understand, like, they just needed to run, do something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it's like, that was probably the prime of Terry Funk's career. I mean, up until what? ECW. I mean, how old was he when he was in ECW? Late 50s? Yeah. When he was still yeah. wrestling? Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, he's, I think he's 70, like mid-70s, I think now. Yeah. yeah so, I want to say. I mean, that's what I remember about that. Like I, like I said, I, I only remember the I Quit match. Mm-hmm. It shows you my memory. But then, you know, to get the Sting, Sting was what, in the business how long? A year Two, three, couple, three. couple, yeah, a couple years. He was, yeah, he wasn't in for very long. He was, uh, I want to say, I want to say maybe like, yeah, like two years at best. I always like Sting better than Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, just I'm not gonna say because of the character, just that he worked. I just liked watching him. Yeah, he was more exciting. More exciting to watch. Yep. Yeah, in the ring. Yeah. So it's like I could see that, like, just like the the business was evolving, just like we we're talking about, like the attitude era, how it's evolved now. Mm-hmm. It was evolving in 89, 90. What did you think of Sting as a horseman before they got to the rivalry with him and Flair? Because originally it was, you know, they, was had the, both, yeah. they had the match at the Clash, um, the very first Clash of Champions in, in uh, March of 88. And that was kind of like when Flair endorsed Sting, even though Sting, you know, didn't win the match. He took him to the limit. And then they made him a horseman. And I just remember, like, look, just looking at him with the face paint. I'm like, he just, as a kid, I was like, he didn't fit. Like, yeah. there was Flair, there was uh, Arn. Only returned, but he was a manager. He didn't wrestle. And Sting was the fourth horseman. Um, to me, I just didn't really, didn't really gel with me. But what did you think of, um, of, of Sting as a four horseman for that brief run? It was just. I guess exciting, but I don't think it was even part of it long. No, it wasn't. It was just a means to an end to get him to, to eventually face Flair for the yeah, title. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it was, I don't know, exciting. But then once the turn came, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, being in the business and we understand the business more now. Now we look back, I would just all storyline. Yeah. Know? But it, it just, when you see something new, something that you didn't think could ever happen, it's just like that one time thinking back when, uh, Dusty came into the cage to save Flair when he was getting beat up by the, by the, uh, by the Russians. That was the formation of the Four Horsemen yeah, that night, so yeah? Yeah, so it's like you saw that, and you're like, oh, no, he's going to, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, no, Flair's going to be a good guy. They're going to shake hands and everything. What happened? They turned on him. Arn and Oli came in, and then that was the, basically the start of the Horsemen. So it's like, as a kid, that's... Wrestling is geared to kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, then you got like NXT's geared more to the adults and a lot of the indies, whatever. But it's geared towards kids, so you want them thinking, you know, what's gonna happen? Like, oh, they're good, good guys are gonna get together here and there. But because of the internet, everything's so predictable now. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's it's it. it you, you get a piece of news, and you know whether it's true or not, people run with it. And before the result has even happened, everyone's outraged over it. Yeah. Like I look at my, my son when he looks back when he's thirty years old. You know, he's going to look back and wrestling for him as a child was freaking, he's going to think John Cena. Yeah. For me, Flair. It's like, dude, all the greatest wrestlers have already wrestled. Yep. You know? So. Yeah. Well, you brought up, you brought up, uh, you know, uh, um, staying and, 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 how exciting in some ways it was to be a horseman. And at the time, you know, 
uh, Flair's character was kind of going through a little bit of a transition. Like he was good, but he was bad, but he was kind of good. Like they didn't really, he was kind of like in a gray area. Uh, what was better for you as a fan? Good guy, Ric Flair or bad guy, Ric Flair? Oh, bad guy. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But now I know being in the business that no matter how bad or peel I could be or turn, nobody can kind of, is not going to be able to associate me with me being the can like, see the difference anymore they're always mm-hmm. you know like one time i wrestled vlad at in the bethany when northeast finally took over it became new bethany yeah i was the ultimate i was the heel in the match and i'm the one who got a bigger pop yeah so because i'm the hometown guy yep so we're well, not the hometown guy but i was you're like, local yeah yeah, yeah you're local yeah you're a little more established not, not yeah he didn't get a pop he got a great pop too it's just like wow yeah and it's like so if you could understand that it's like he's already established and it's like wow you know how could he now he became loved. He's always going to be loved. Yeah. No matter if he turned or, you know, just like Hogan now. It's like when did uh, when he, he made the, the transition into becoming the heel, he went for what, to being the most hated. Then now they, like, they associate him now with the red and yellow. But now it's even being NWO, it's always going to be like, you looked at, it's cool. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you at the beginning of this show, you talked about you know growing up and you know NWA, Flair, the Four Horsemen. That's what kind of a epit- it was the epitome of your your uh, your experience as a young wrestling fan. Um, 1991, late 91, Ric Flair jumps to the WWF with the big gold belt, the yeah. NWA title. Hogan versus Flair. Yeah, I think about it. yeah as a fan. Tell me. You know, you, you, you were fans of both. I was fans of both. I felt like as a kid, I'll just explain briefly, that Hogan and Flair was, like, to me, the first and the ultimate dream match. And I felt like as – I didn't have that many friends in school that were wrestling fans, but when they were and they watched, nobody knew who Ric Flair was because they didn't watch NWA or they didn't have it on their on their TV. But I was, like, the only one who knew who the fuck Ric Flair was going up against Hulk Hogan and especially bringing the big gold and belt. They, and they blurred out the belt. Yeah, and they blur out the belt like you know it towards the end of that that uh that storyline but to me it was like holy cow like that was the ultimate tell me your thoughts on the early parts of rick flair's run in the wwf it was like finally finally i get to see hogan versus flair and because as a kid i used to argue with kids you know yeah wrestling fan, hogan you know versus flair i'm like flair all the way really you know flair all the way you know okay. and I mean, I shouldn't be surprised at that, but yeah. And it's just like, I guess, like, you know, with anything else, like, you know, you know, Batman versus Superman, who would be, who's the best, you know, superhero, you know? That's a good comparison. So, me, it was Hogan, and, you know, some guys, you know, was Flair, and it's Hogan, and mine was always Flair. You know, you'd always see it in the magazines, who's the best wrestler, you know? Hogan was the greatest, enter- one of the best enter- early entertainers. Flair was, just, to me, the ultimate wrestler the technician the technician yeah you know, even though people said his work sucked i mean but I, you know you know i mean there's i think there's other greater wrestlers out there you oh know, yeah like it was brett sean and everything but yeah. flair's just had it all yeah you know so it's just like what well, you can say about dusty he wasn't the greatest wrestler but you know what he had it all yeah so it's like you know to think hogan and flair then it never really happened until wcw wcw now let me ask you something why do you think Hogan Flair never took place in WWF in 90? Well, I shouldn't say it never took place. They did house shows. They did live events. Um, and from what 
the narrative is out there, according to WWE and a lot of these retrospectives that they do on the network, that uh, some people have said that there was ego involved. Some people have said that they didn't do the match at WrestleMania and it wasn't on a bigger stage because Hogan was leaving because of the whole steroid trial thing. And uh, some other people have said that the business that they were drawing in the Northeast area in cities like Madison Square Garden, Boston, um, at Philadelphia, and the, the, the bigger towns for WWF at the time just didn't draw as well. Uh, why do you think Hogan Flair never took place at WrestleMania? I think they were maybe trying to put it off and put it off until, to get to the bigger stage, maybe, uh-huh. to have a, the big payday. Mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of looking back, I mean... I was I was recently watching the Ric Flair DVD. I always watch it again, and and uh, and it's a sad because that never got to happen. That was the ultimate first ultimate dream match. Yes, yes. That didn't happen. Yeah. And it should have happened at WrestleMania, not yeah. the WCW, because I think the time is the time passed. It didn't have the same. Just imagine WrestleMania three, Hogan versus Flair. How? When when was it supposed to happen? They so originally from my my recollection, um, Flair came in in late '91 and he basically claimed to be the real champion. Yeah, Hogan had the belt at the time. Flair brought in the big gold belt. So was that WrestleMania eight? Yeah, it was supposed to happen at WrestleMania eight in '92. They it was advertised. Flair won the Royal Rumble and became the champion, and then Hogan got the rematch. Yeah. Because Hogan got screwed by Flair at the Survivor Series in, in November of 91 when Undertaker yeah. okay. beat him. So then they were going to do the big match. And then on television, uh, from what I remember as a kid, they changed it up and they did Hogan and Sid. And then Flair and Savage was the other half, which were still good. You know, as I, going back, remembering as a kid, it was still fun stuff to watch. I still watch that WrestleMania from time to time. But um yeah, it was supposed to happen at WrestleMania 8, and I've heard a number of different stories as to why it didn't, whether it be, you know, backstage politics, uh, the, the steroid trial and trying to get Hogan out of there, um, business and just not drawing as well. I mean, there's... there's it there's, would have drawn, you know? I kind of think about it like I feel the match would have drawn, but we will never know. Yeah. Guess we'll never know. Yeah. I mean, maybe egos, money, maybe people... I think might maybe money could have been a big factor of it. Like maybe Hogan was asking too much, or who who really knows? Yeah, was wasn't this the steroid thing was really big at that that time? I think I think that was like late night. I think it was like 1992 was when the company found out that they were being looked into by the by the federal government, and I and and there's other and here's another story I've heard. I've heard that Hogan was looking to slow down his schedule, uh, do movies. He yeah. still wanted to wrestle, but it, it was more of a featured attraction kind of role. And the steroid, the steroid thing was just starting to come to fruition, and the company was looking to just kind of phase him out because he was the figurehead of wrestling. And um, so with Hogan being the figurehead of wrestling and the company being looked at by the government, it would just it just wouldn't have... It would have just been a bad look, and that's why they didn't do Flair Hogan. Because if Hogan would have had to have beat Flair in a way, like yeah. he's the babyface, he would have had to have chased him and won the title and had the big moment at WrestleMania, like he did at the last seven WrestleManias before that. But because he was leaving, 
you know, what were you going to do with Hulk Hogan with the championship if he was going to, you know, beat Flair and then not come back or yeah. you didn't know when he was coming back? I mean, I guess you could say hindsight being 2020, they could have done something and, you know, either done an injury storyline or he handed the belt over or whatever. But yeah, I was, I definitely was disappointed as a kid. I mean, don't get me wrong, I loved Flair and Savage from that mania um, when Ric Flair did the storyline where he said he was with Elizabeth. Yeah. Before he was with Macho Man. I think like if uh, if they did do the Hogan Flair, if if that happened, would it have been at one and done? You know, like say with the just uh, WrestleMania and that's it. Yeah, like wouldn't I don't know. Like you, you, we we could come up with so many scenarios. Yeah. But eventually we got it, and it just didn't. It just left a bad taste. It wasn't it wasn't what it should have been. No, you're, you're, you're definitely right there. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, we can just kind of, you know, transition fast forward. I mean, you had the match at, at Bash at the Beach in 1994. It was Hogan's debut yeah. in WCW. Um, and, you know, he was wrestling. And it was weird because I remember as a kid, like, it was very quick that, like, Hogan was announced that he was going to be a part of the company and then he was going to have the match with Flair. And if I remember correctly at the time, Flair was a good guy on TV. And Flair was the—he had the big gold belt, but he was—they called the big gold belt the international title. It wasn't even the, the, the WCW World Heavyweight title. And he had a unification match with Sting at that Clash of Champions in June of 94. And they turned him bad when Sherry, Sensational Sherry, made her debut and revealed yeah. that she was Flair's valet. But they just did that just to set up to get to Hogan yeah. is what it was really done. Um, but you weren't a big fan of the, that match, the WCW match, the Bash of the Beach? I'm not going to say I wasn't. Yeah. It just, you know, WCW had a different feel than yeah. WF at that time, you know? It just... But even with its NWA roots and you being a big NWA fan at the time, and you talked about how NWA was very storyline-driven and wrestling-based, and that's what really attracted you as a wrestling fan. Having someone like Hogan from the other side come yeah. over to WCW against the, the, the figurehead of NWA, so to speak, and Ric Flair. When did that happen? What year was it that it actually happened, Hogan versus Flair? 94. So on pay-per-view. Right. It had yeah. been done at live events and house shows in WWF, and but it was never done on TV in a singles match. So I was 18. Uh-huh. So imagine if that happened. And uh, when did he, oh, Flair do the jump? You say 91? 91, yeah. Well, three years three prior. Three years different. So I, imagine it having, it would have been a different feel at 15 okay. than if you were at 18, because at 18... You got other things on your mind. Yeah, oh yeah. Do you want to do? Yeah, you know? exactly. Even though we're still wrestling fans. Yeah. You know, just put yeah. It, you know. Girls and, and yeah, hang out with your buddies and drink a beer and yeah, all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the big the draw of the money, was it, it just missed it. Yeah. It missed it. Too little, too late. Yeah. Yeah. So they eventually done it. So it's like. Okay, what was the recent thing WWE just did? AJ Styles, they wanted to see Styles versus Sinsuke. Nakamura, yeah. All right, they finally yeah. did it, and it was what? Well, it was great, right? It wasn't bad, yeah. How I mean, what did they do after that? They did like three or four more. Was it the same as the first one? Did it get boring? Uh, 
I'm not gonna lie. I was not. It, it, they overhyped it for me. Like they overhyped. Like when they, when they labeled that match at WrestleMania a dream match, they overhyped it for me. And then I felt like it. it the expectations they set yeah. it went, were way too high. And what we got, what we got at WrestleMania wasn't bad, but it wasn't dream match quality in my opinion. And the other stuff didn't live up to it. I probably say the the payoff that the two of them had um, in June uh, was probably their best match. What's uh, the next dream match? Did anybody talking about? Um, these days, I, I honestly I don't hear many people talking about like big dream matches anymore. Like uh, in, in the current day, in terms of I would say not in terms of well, actually no, I shouldn't say that because I mean I I see wrestling groups on Facebook that will talk about you know guys in Ring of Honor and in New Japan and you yeah. know the like Bullet Club and those guys like and how they would fare against guys in NXT or even on the main roster in WWE well, like the guys that are on NXT were were the top indie talent like yep. the Ring of Honor so it's like NXT has become the 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 god I'm trying to what word I'm trying to use it's like the super of indies. It's the indie, yeah. It's it's like the the, the top indie fed. Yeah. yeah. They get all the top but it's names from the WWE contract. Yeah. The banner. Yeah. But once they get to WWE, it's just not the same for yeah. some reason. You know, I hear you. I'm 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 right there with you. I mean, NXT is probably the closest thing to what those guys were on the independent scene. But once they hit the main roster, it's like you're you're you're. I wouldn't say you're a different person, but. You're, you're totally spayed and neutered. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could understand, like, you know, as we've gotten older and as the wrestling fans, how, like, we kind of see wrestling, how has it evolved. You look back how the 80s, how that evolved. The 90s, how that evolved. And early 2000s, how that evolved. And now, well, how it's evolved now. Honestly, I can't sit through pay-per-view and enjoy it. Yeah. It just... It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. I'm it, right there with you. It's just... It's not, you know... I can't sit there and watch... Ring of Honor and say that I'm having enjoying it. Yeah, I don't know because wrestling to me was just it's different. Yeah, yeah I get you because I, I got from you. a different era. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not a. I appreciate all kinds of wrestling as long as it's entertaining and it's fun to watch. Um, but you know, I'm not a diehard ring of honor or new Japan guy, uh, because that, that style, that philosophy of wrestling, I didn't grow up on. I can yeah. appreciate it. And there, if I hear something was really good, I'll go and watch it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll make time to, to, to watch it, but I'm not, you know, living and dying by the, by the uh, the the, the storylines and the philosophies of how pro wrestling should be under the Ring of Honor New Japan umbrella, yeah. but um, get, you, you know, know I've been told well, I'll make this quick. Yeah, my whole, I keep to my heart. He was up from Mario Mancini because I'll talk to him a lot, you know, yeah. and stuff, and I'll respect him because like, he came from the greatest era that I feel wrestling was the yep. 80s, you know. Yeah, and he says to me, I I sh came in in the wrong era. I should have been in the 80s, baby. Yeah. I would, yeah, that's the way I look at yeah. it. You know, I, I fit perfectly. All right, move on. No, no, no. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, the, obviously the Hogan Flair dream match didn't really live up to your expectations. It was different. Um, and Flair kind of went through some weird transition in the, in the, the, the next couple of years. Uh, he uh, lost another pay-per-view match to Hogan and had to retire. And then he came back dressed in drag <laughs> to help Vader um, against Hogan. And then we saw something that, for me as a fan at that time, I thought we would never see. And that was Ric Flair 
against Arn Anderson. Yeah, yeah, we never saw that. It's like, like I said, it just they needed something. They needed tension within. You know, you'll see it all the time. Tag team partners have intention and end up splitting up. Uh, you know, I don't know whose idea was it. Mm-hmm. Who's the book? Who booked it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I like I I barely re- remember it, but uh, it was great. I mean, two of my favorites going at each other. Um, and I kind of like watched the match at you know the wrestling's today standards. I'm like, eh, it was all right, you know. But the, the thought of it, storyline wise, it worked. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. They also needed other. They needed to do things. People think that 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 the reason why it didn't work because people couldn't buy. The, the Ric Flair and Arn Anderson characters having conflict because they were so uh, closely associated with each other as members of the Four Horsemen. As a fan watching it, from what you can remember, could did you, could you suspend disbelief and buy uh, a long term storyline with Ric Flair against Arn Anderson? No. Okay. Uh, it would just wasn't the same for you. Nah. Yeah. yeah it it would have just been one of those things like. Hey, let's get Sting into the Horsemen, and the next thing you know, they turn on him. Okay. Hey, to me, I just felt like it just wasn't gonna last. They've been, if they were that, they were family. They were, that's what they were saying. Yes, that's right, the cousins. Yeah, so yep. it, it just wouldn't have lasted. I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was interested in the prospect of it because it was something different at that time. I was like, oh. I'm like, because I obviously knew the two of them together as, yeah. you know, the horsemen. So I was I was kind of disappointed that it was shut down so quickly. And that was at the 1995 Halloween Havoc when Flair had turned on Sting and joined up with Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. And they were going to reform the horsemen. And this is the period of time, at least with the horsemen, in the in the, the next couple of years where um, obviously the the – the name and the prestige and the legacy of the four horsemen, it's, it definitely, the glory days had, had passed them by. Yeah. Uh, you mean you had it's Flair. Like to reform the NWO now. Yeah. I mean, you had Flair and Arn, who were obviously the anchors of the group, but, you know, you had different guys like Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, Dean Malenko. I mean, uh, what were your thoughts on those guys and, and, and the, the, the reformation, the multiple reformations of the four horsemen? Well, they're just trying to, beat up they're just beating up a dead horse i mean yeah the heyday is already gone they needed it because they were just associated with wcw slash nwa you know they needed something to bring back they needed to draw money they needed to do this they needed to do that but wrestling that was the attitude era you yep. know so there whoever was booking that was what bischoff yeah does you need the booker so and from what I heard, we all, and I'm sure you know, was nobody was like, there was really no leadership. People were booking their own crap yeah. then, you know. But it's like trying to bring back, say, the NWA now. It's or trying to bring back, like, say, any music band, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know it'll, be, it'll be great to see them again. Yeah. But how quick the, will it die out? Like, it just get stale. Yeah. It was just... You looking. You just got to look at it. They're trying to draw money, and they're doing whatever it took to bring the fans in. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned him, Bischoff, too. At, the, at this point, um, these these different incarnations of the Four Horsemen um, and other creative issues led to Flair leaving the company at one point, and then WCW suing him or him suing WCW. They were involved in a legal issue. Uh, they they get the band back together. They do it again, and then Flair and Bischoff kind of, uh, you know. Uh, do uh you know their their 
evil boss against you know the the, the hard work and you know wrestler in the company kind of storyline but these were the moments like i mean all right i remembered obviously the glory days with flair and dusty and sting yeah. and and the horsemen and all that other stuff but then like this la these last few years like i've chronicled here 95 96 97 98 even going into like 2000 and then eventually 2001 flair did a lot of crap in wcw in terms of you know the quality of stories you know the stuff with vince russo getting his kid involved david flair you remember um, watching the, uh, the flair dvd i've seen it before yeah what did he say they always needed somebody to uh, somebody that knows that it will get the job done. Yeah, they always went to him when they needed him. Yeah, there was just you know. So that's why you're saying like you know what you're saying is did a lot of crappy yeah. shit. You know. Yeah, I mean Sounds that didn't make sense, and you wouldn't have never seen Flair do that in the eighties. Now, what did you think during that time frame of like? Did you think differently of Flair that he was do? Was he still great to you, or did did it leave like a like a like a stain on the image of Ric Flair for you as a fan when uh, he was doing all that stuff. It was still the same for me. Yeah. It didn't start leaving a stain for me until he did stuff in TNA. Okay. After his retirement. And that stuff, I, you know, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have any of his TNA stuff in my notes because there's only like two things I remember about his time in TNA. The stuff he did with Jay Lethal yeah. with the imitation, which was probably the greatest moment that TNA had ever had at that point. Yeah. And um, a really awful match he had with... Actually, I shouldn't say awful, but he had a match with uh, Foley. They did something there. Um, it was like a hardcore kind of yeah. match, um, which was a takeoff from their match in WWE in 2006, which we'll kind of get into here. You know, he did all that shit in WCW. Then he returns in November of 2001, ironically, the same month I met you. Yeah. Flair joins the WWF. He does, does a storyline with Vince, and he's like the co-owner. Um I remember that. What were your thoughts on his uh, on his on his time in the WWF, uh, two thousand and one? Every wrestler needs a rejuvenation of his career, so. mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know, like he was there to you know to be a manager or you know, owner or this and that, whatever. And eventually, like being being a wrestler, you eventually want to get in the ring again and yep. work. So it's like storyline wise, they're always going to put you back in. You're going to want to see them because people still want to see that. Yeah. I thought it was great stuff he did with um was it was it like like not like yeah was it legacy evolution evolution okay. yeah legacy was with uh, Orton Orton okay Cody and uh, yeah DBS Jr. It was great evolution was supposed to be the four horsemen yep you thought that was cool yeah. you liked it yeah, yeah I mean. And it's not, it's not the first, it ain't going to be the last. Yeah. You know, um, wrestling is always going to have some type of factions. Is it, are they as great as it was then? You know, I mean, what New Day right now is okay. Mm -hmm. But eventually it's like, how, uh, how much longer are they going to go with it? Yeah. You know, it's working for them right now because the kids love it. Yeah. Is there any other factions? There, there's the, the the shield. They do their thing uh, every once in a while. Reigns, Rollins, and Ambrose. Yeah. But you know they they. But they, people still want to see it, but then they get sick of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, wrestling fans are fickle these days, especially WWE fans. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's quite um fascinating at times to watch a show. One week they will they will cheer a guy that they the, they really like, and the next week they'll they'll totally shit all over what him. About the faction, uh, what was the one called in uh, TNA? That Flair was a part of. Yeah. Um, 
he was a part of two actually so he was they tried to redo the four horsemen in tna but they called it fortune and flair was the the jj dylan and they had um aj styles uh bobby rude james storm uh christopher daniels falling into christopher daniels he wasn't yeah he was in it um and uh frankie kazarian they were called fortune and Daniels was in there. Yeah, was? they kind of. Daniels was in it, but he he was in it later. Like, um, who's the guy uh, uh, that used to be in Ring of Honor? He's now a commentator for uh, Nigel McGuinness. Yeah, Nigel McGuinness was in that group, but he was known as Desmond Wolf. They changed his name. He still kind of had a similar character, the British wrestler, but he was like a protege of Flair, and Flair formed this group um, with you know Beer Money, AJ, yeah. uh, Kaz was in it, and then I think. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, Nigel uh, had some health issues and he was no longer in the company. And then eventually they put Daniels in it. But yeah, those those guys, Flair had that like they tried to recreate that four horsemen yeah. kind of vibe with them again. I think it and worked in, in the beginning a little because people knew what they were doing. Yeah, they knew what they were aiming for. I just didn't like that they tried like when they put Flair with AJ. And then they had AJ coming out with, like, the robe and the feathers and stuff like that. And they yeah. gave him, like, you know, like, the, the, the guy lights, the, the, the blonde hair tips. And I just thought that was, like, you know, nobody does Ric Flair better than Ric Flair other than Jay, right. other than Jay Lethal, of course. But, like, I, I thought AJ Styles was fine the way he was. Yeah. With with his association with Flair, I felt like, you know, he was a world class athlete that Flair could endorse and get behind. Flair didn't; they didn't need to have Flair's um, image rub off on him, you no. know, like with the robe and and trying to, you know, have an AJ come out and wooing and stuff like that. I just thought it was very stupid and silly. But um, to say though, like to have Flair there was great. Like I felt it was okay. It was good. It worked. Yeah. Until they started having him wrestle, that's yeah. When they just kind of stand like, all right, now it's done. okay. There were some part. I'm I'm with you on that, and as as far as his TNA stuff, but there were some parts of his even his WWE run towards the end before his retirement, where I was like, all right, like. You don't need to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need to wrestle. I was cool with the evolution and the J.J. Dillon role. And even from time to time, when he part-time when he part -time wrestled, when he was tagging with Batista or with Orton, I was okay with that stuff. But obviously the quality of his matches went down. Still entertaining as hell. I, I kind of feel like I wonder if fans think of that of me. You know? Like, I'm, like I wonder that. Because I kind of see, like, I watched my match with uh, with uh, Chris Battle from uh, March mm. on the DVD last night because I told my son, I was like, I had it, and he was watching it. And, yeah. And I'm watching myself, and I'm like, oh, man. I definitely, you know, obviously, I'm not 30 anymore, and I've gained 20 pounds more than I was last year. I was better ring shape last year, obviously, because I had a ring, and I was in the ring four days a week. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's why I kind of, like, I made an announcement. I'm like... I'm going to retire. My goal is to, uh, to retire at 20 years. So mm -hmm. 2021, okay. I will be graduating high school. So I guess we'll see after that. Like, that's my goal. You know, so I got a few, couple more years left, and the year's, you know, three-quarters of the way over. So. So, you, so you're in the mindset recently, right now, that you wonder if fans think of you the same way that I felt about Flair yeah. with the quality of his matches? Yeah. Okay. It's tough, you know, because I'm not ready to go out, and I'm sure people look at Zombie the same way. Yep. You know, um, 
is not the zombie of 10 years ago that yeah. I, you know that I worked but he can still go and I've asked him I was like do you want do you have any intention of retiring and he goes until he feels that he can't bump anymore that's when he's going to retire that's the thing with me it's like I still feel I can go and I feel like I'm really not getting that chance mm-hmm. but I'm not putting myself out there either yeah I still want to work I'm not ready to go out yeah so yeah, the TNA stuff is not gonna lie. It didn't, don't have any notes here on it whatsoever because it, it was gonna come up. Huh? Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't not think it was gonna come up, but I was like, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to his time in TNA, and here's why. And it goes back to, um, you know, his his towards the end of his WWE run when they did the retirement storyline with Shawn Michaels. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of flair and ring at that time in wwe like i said to you i just thought like it wasn't necessary the evolution stuff was cool but then for some reason um maybe because i kind of knew or had a feeling it was the end of his time in the ring when they started that storyline where he was going to either win his match or he was going to have to retire every single time that i felt like the quality of the matches and the stories were with flair were getting a little bit better um, I don't know if it was a fire that was creatively lit under his ass at that time, but I just remember feeling like, well, maybe this is the end. And I've watched him since I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. So like, holy cow, let me try to like savor this moment. And, you know, because this might be the last time I'm ever going to see Ric Flair again. I was fortunate enough to go to that, um, that WrestleMania that he wrestled Shawn Michaels with the retirement. And that was the first time as a, as an adult wrestling fan that I got caught up in a storyline and the result was emotional for me. Yeah. Like I cried when he walked up that ramp because I looked back and like in my thought, it was like, Holy cow. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I, the first thought in my head when he walked up that ramp was 605 Saturdays, TBS, NWA, yeah. World Championship Wrestling with David Crockett or Tony Schiavone interviewing him and the rest of the horsemen. And, you know, I can look back on that and, and watch it on video, but like he's never going to do that again, you know? And it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting time for me as a fan, um, especially being older, because like I said, I wasn't the, he did some decent stuff in that last run in WWE and then there was some stuff he did like that. I just didn't really care about at all. It didn't have any emotional investment into, but then when the, the retirement storyline came, I was like, it was like destination TV for me as a fan, because I had to, was this going to be the last time he was ever going to wrestle? You know, well, don't forget. I mean, Mike, you know, Northeast Wrestling brought him in. What, okay, what year did he did he retire? What year was so? It? 08, uh, 2008 was that year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 24 in Orlando, when Michaels beat him. The, the whole, you know, I'm sorry, I love you, and he gave him the super kick. And yeah. then it was a year later, 2009, 2009, when he did that show in Bristol. I want to say he did Bristol. Yeah, the first one was in Bristol. I, I want to uh, say I had just started working for Northeast. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, that was my goal. Like kind of, and once I got there, it's like, you know, you're told, to, you know, you know, just help out. You know, I did my match with, I tagged with Doug and I go upstairs and I got paid and he goes, March 20, March Torrington, you're on. I don't remember the date. I'm like, okay, great. I did the show with Duggan and, um, it was, the week later, it was WrestleFest, and that's what it had Flair. So we did a Bristol, right? And, yeah. When, now was that the one when uh, uh, his his son David Flair wrestled in the tag? No. Was that his first? 
No, not that they read. Read, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, Reed, I think yeah. the son came with him. Yeah, Reed, Reed was tagging, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, I was told that I was like, you know, by Kurt, he was like, you know, just because you're not on the show, and I mean, you know, you're not going to be on every show. I'm like, I understand. You know, I was just humble, and I did my best to help out. Yeah. And uh, I helped out with setting up the stuff, everything, and I might got the work out the mic. And that's that's what he looks for, you know, team players. So I was like, all right, this is my only chance to meet Flair. And, you know, I go all these years of watching him on TV. And next thing you know, I'm like, you know, leaning up against a wall. And he's sitting like literally this far away from me, a few feet. And he's like, you know, up laying against the wall, kind of, you know, crunched down. I'm like, wow. I remember him, you know, Kurt Adonis retired that night. And he took money out of his pocket and gave Kurt or somebody to go buy a 30-pack for him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I was like, wow. It's like, you know, my only time to meet Flair. I was like, I need, what am I going to do, wrestle a show? It's probably never going to happen now, you know? Yeah. So that was a Saturday. You know, Sunday went by, Monday. I don't know if it was a Monday or a Tuesday. I go to the gym, and uh, I left my phone in the car, I believe. I get to the car after my workout, and I go, and I got a couple texts. I had a missed phone call, and it was Chris, Chris O'Brien, Mike's right-hand man at the time. And I call him back, and he goes, hey, you know what's going on? He was like, hey, I got some dates for you. All right. Game shot off three dates for me. And uh, I was like, okay, great, thank you. I go, go on Facebook, or I went on the site, and I go look at the shows. I'm like, wow, I'm touring with the company now. The first show was... Uh, in Pennsylvania, I don't remember who was on the show. Uh, Lawler, Foley. Lawler's on every show. Yeah, Lawler, <laughs> Foley. Uh, Simmons was there. And the next two were Newburgh, New York, and Rockland, New York, both with flair. So imagine, you know, the first night I was was in it, was start off with a battle royal. Then it was an eight-man tag, and Reed Flair was on the other team. So after our match... You know, mind you, you got to remember, Flair and Foley and I think uh, Waller, and maybe Simmons was there too. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. It was a big show. Newberg shorts are normally big. Watching the screen in the back room while we're out there working, I was like, wow. So, big crowd, sold out, you know, gym, at least 2,000 people maybe. And we get to the back. He calls all this all, brought us into a room. He started critiquing everybody. Got gets to me. He goes, "You big man, I love it when you bump and feed. It's just awesome. I just, I just love that, you know." And I was following him up the stairs after he talked to us, and I was like, "Thank you, Rick." He goes, "Oh, you no problem." He goes, "I just love it when big men can bump and feed." Mm-hmm. All right, awesome, you know. So the next day, we're in, in Rockland again, you know, in the back, and Flair goes around and says hi to everybody. I'm like, "I just, you know, met you yesterday." All right, whatever. So we're just kind of just getting dressed, and he grabs me by the arm, and he goes, come on, come with me. I'm like, okay. He goes, hey, listen, I want you to work with my son. Maybe get him out, you know, with a backflip over the top rope. I'm like, uh, I was like I'm going to be getting out pretty early in the, in the, in the, in the, in the rumble. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the battle royal, I mean, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I'll still work with him. What do you think I did? I, my eyes are on him, and the frightened as soon as the bell rang in the battle royal, I'm like, not even before the bring the better uh, the bell. I was like, my eyes are dead set on him. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm coming after you. <laughs> so I kind of went after him, and I let him, hit, you know, light me up with chops in the corner. Yeah, you know, I got it on DVD, and we didn't. I was in a six man tag, and uh, so same thing. We did our match, 
get to the back. Flair takes us all into the little room again, critiques everybody. Didn't say nothing to me. So I was like, I thought something, I thought I did something wrong. So he went to the bathroom and I, everybody left and I waited for him. I'm like, hey, Rick, you know, you didn't say anything to me. You know, did I do something wrong? He goes, no, brother. He goes, you, I got nothing bad to say about you. He goes, I'm surprised they don't use you well. They don't use you better. That's what he said. Wow. So I'm like kind of like in awe, you know, and he, mm -hmm. he goes, no, he goes, if I had anything to say, I would tell you. I was like, wow, thank you. You know, and I went up to Kurt. I go, Kurt, you just put me over. So it's like you go all your your childhood, you know, from that moment on. I'm going to want to get off track. But no, no, no. That moment on. I knew I got validated that I this is what I'm supposed to be you know this is what I'm supposed to be doing and whatever I'm doing I'm doing right and fuck everybody that freaking backstabbed me that talked shit I told you you couldn't do it couldn't yeah. do it yeah the guys from you know the kind of like what we talked earlier the locals to, yeah, yeah to look that that like you know think don't think highly of you all my hard work paid off. Like everything, all these emotions, like everything from my parents to this, to that. I'm like, it, you know, but to this day, my parents don't even understand the, you know, the, the like, I don't want to say the enigma of like my life outside of like when they don't see me you know, mm -hmm. from the business. So yeah, it just, everything got validated. People like Tommy Dreamer validated me, you know, Stevie Richards, Duggan, Ron, you know, even Mike Lombardi. I mean, come on, man. So it's like, there any other personal moments with your interactions with uh, Flair that you can uh, uh, reflect other, on? Other than that, and um, I know they think they brought him in another time, and I, I wasn't on the show. This one, Northeast started not really using me as much anymore, mm -hmm. so I bring you know, different guys. Is uh, wrestling under the stars? Okay, I got, and that was when the day after Dusty passed. Oh wow! If it was a day after Dusty, or was it a day after? Piper. The day after Dusty, I believe. Okay. Yeah, and he was, he was holding it together. You know, I mean, I talked to him a little bit, and that's when we took the picture, and it was, you know. It was what it was. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. not too much. You know. Yeah. It was before they let all the fans in, and. All right, so let me so let me ask you. You just you, by the way. Great segue from talking about his career to his personal interactions because that's the direction I was going, and that's that was a, a beautifully done by you, by the way. Um, you know, you talked about your personal interactions with him, and um, we've discussed, you know, being a mark, being in the business. What having time to think about the 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 endorsement that he gave you that night in the yeah. locker room um after the fact what we what we what was going on in your head when that when he when he told you you know no you you do great you you bump and feed like a big man should i'm surprised they don't use you better like what what was that like for you like were you were, were you bull dread the the uh you know the the consummate professional that you know humbly took the compliment or were you you know m you know fanboy mike you know growing up like holy cow my fucking idol just told me i did a great job i i was mike yeah i was validated of my hard work mm -hmm. that i put in you know yeah uh, people you know this is something i was just thinking about today the new pwi came out and you know i see a lot of guys that i've worked with and trained with and 
you know, a lot of the guys, you know, made it, and I'm happy for him. But I'm a bit, you know, envious because I feel I had some great years, and I felt like, you know, maybe uh, PWI kind of overlooked that. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. I know what it what it what it takes, but you need to get yourself out there, and you know, I didn't do that because I chose my priorities, but. People don't, I think, like, what doesn't get validated is the work you put in. Yeah. And how hard I worked at some one point in my career. It's like I, you know, even with the weight loss, like, last year, I was in the ring three, four days a week working with the kids. And I don't think people see that work. They always kind of see the what it gets out there, per se, for ma- shows and their matches. The hard work of getting up to that point doesn't get validated like that yeah. gets overlooked and that's what i feel like you know i've gotten overlooked maybe i don't know i mean i'm kind of upset a little bit about it you know but i'm not gonna let them become bitter about it because i think the fans speak for my me being over and mean being loved and stuff i don't think i need a you know a magazine to promote that but even though i would have loved to at least get validated that way yeah but it just, you know, Flair kind of, you know, I've had interactions with Piper, you know, very personal. And Flair and Dreamer, Stevie, and they've all kind of validated that, you know, I'm, I am where I'm supposed to be. Like, At the end of the day, the, the, the guys who have done it best in the industry, giving you a pat on the back and telling you a good job that you've done is is – is enough at least from my perspective as an outsider i think that's enough validation like for me personally like i mean if 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 i was in your shoes and rick flair said to me no you did great man like i'd you know i'd have walked away and been like oh thank you rick i appreciate that thank you so much and then i'd be like yeah fuck everybody else that told me i couldn't do it you know like and that's that that would that would have been that would have been the exclamation point at the end of the sentence for me those are the guys that like you know the locals that or envious and jealous because that's like some of my heard like hate NEW and stuff mm-hmm. because they think their shit is is gold and I'm like people don't care yeah you know it's like Mike's a businessman WWE NEW is run the way any uh, WWE is ran yeah you know and kind of like what you said like you know fuck everybody else and you know Pete you know Von Schmidt he, you know Pat Gunner to you when I was going through all the bullshit with you know Milano and DPW and like it really you know, got to me and it really burned me and it really broke me. You know, I was like, well, how do the friends like back you, stab you in the, you know, stab you in the back like that? He said to me, he goes, dude, snap out of it. You're bull dread. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's what I had to do. You know, and I finally found my calling when that's when the beast started, I say, uh, grew like that's where the beast came from yeah i kind of took everything from my upbringing my my ethics of the hard work and it's like everything what you want in life you know you you, you want to be a beast and make it happen yeah you know the beast is passion and love for what you do mm-hmm. and that's what that is you know and i that's why i came up with the original beast of connecticut yeah yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to, to be along for the ride, um, obviously in Rick Flair's career, but, you know, in your career as well um, with with our time spent together. And, uh, you know, you brought up a you brought up a point about how your parents uh, don't understand this 
aura, so to speak, yeah. of your wrestling life and your character and right. the, 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 the notoriety that you have locally. Um, for me personally, and I'm not saying this because you're sitting in front of me, I'm telling you the truth straight up, even though we are buddies and we are friends, um, you know, sometimes people can separate, you know, the guys from, you know, the character and the real person. Yeah. Um, you'll always be dread to me. Yeah. You, you, you'll always be dread to me, whether it's the sexy beast, whether it's just the beast or whether, you know, the, 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 the Connecticut, you know, hardcore icon, you'll always be dread to me. Um, but the human being, uh, Mike there's there's an ex there's an extension of the human being mike in the bull dread character and yeah. vice versa yeah and i i feel like i i, I kind of get the best of both worlds when, with when, you when uh, the, the beast you know bull dread is is my uh it's just my inner i don't want to say my just my inner fire Yep. Like you could say, you know, yeah. my inner beast that, like, mm -hmm. you know, I get to let out, you know. That's when people are like, when they see me, they're like, I can't believe it's me. You know, it's Mike, you know, it's not him, you know, whatever. But then once the sexy beast came out, I was scared to death. I mean, I know I told you about this, what yeah. Mike wanted me to do. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Then he eventually, he was like, dude, you know, eventually you just kind of get good at it and you're becoming, you know, whatever. Grow into it. And I just slowly started becoming me. Like, I'm, I'm able just to be me through yep. the character. The character is me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, no, no matter, like, when I tell people, and I'll put it out there, I don't care. Because I'm not saying I don't care what people think. What I'm saying is, if people are envious or are going to judge me, that means they're just miserable in their own life. I'm able to be me, meaning, like, I speak from the heart, no matter if it's dumb, funny, or, you know, I put myself over, or if I... Something serious. Myself, or make fun of myself. Yeah. I make... I'm here to inspire the world and make people laugh at my expense yep. because I enjoy doing it. Yeah. It's me. You know? And I was like, you got to stay true to yourself no matter what. And that's why I am where I am because I never, uh, faded from who I am. You got to be yourself in life because if you're not happy with who you are, you don't truly love yourself. You're seriously not happy in this life. You got to find something you like and love and you got to just, you can't have any excuses. You got to make it happen. You know, like there's only, you only you can make yourself happy. Uh, you know? Definitely, definitely good words to live by. And one of the reasons why I consider you a friend and why, you know, obviously having you a part of this show and just why I've been able to over the years, uh, be envious of you in many ways, you know, because of your, your ability to, um, to laugh at yourself and your ability to, you know, and your desire to not only entertain people, but to make people smile. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I think, you know, and I think more than anything, and I'm sure other people that know you very closely might feel the same way. Um, I get a front row seat to see you do that as well as get to know you, the human being. And I think that's, what's cool about it. You know, there's fans out there that know, you know, Bull dread from going to the Northeast wrestling shows and all the other shows that you've done over the years. And then there's people that know you in your personal life, like myself and others. And I just think it's pretty cool. Like I, 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 I just don't, I'm not afraid to put it out there. Everybody yeah. knows I'm a father. I, I make fun of myself that, you know, I got a teenage daughter. I rather like, no, she'll be 16 next year. I'm like, geez, I rather have a boyfriend than me buying her a car. You know? So it's like, <laughs> I, I have nothing to prove to anybody. You know, it's like, I'll make fun of myself about being single and this and that, you know why? Because it's all out of laughter. It's all out of just, 
humor. Yeah. I consider myself an unpaid comedian. Comedian. Yep. Comedians make millions of dollars doing what I do, but yet sometimes people will say to me, like well, a fan said to me on Muzzy Field, like I've known her, she comes to the shows, or, you know, her name is Brooke, and uh, she said to me, like, you know, you don't want to seem like, you know. From the vibe that I was getting, I think she was saying that sometimes I could come across like I have an ego, like egotistical or mm-hmm. arrogant. And I'm like, how? I was like, I, I'm, I've never said that I don't like a certain type of women. I said, I love all women. It's just like I look at it as this. It's like, you know, sometimes I love all sandwiches, but sometimes I like a little bit more meat. Yep. You know, so yeah. it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just joke around about it. But yeah. the main thing is, is like when I talk about thick women and bigger women and this and that, yeah, I like bigger women, but I love all women. And it's my way of saying to women that who can consistently put themselves down or have been shit on by crappy men is you shouldn't have to worry about what a man thinks what you should look like. You love yourself the way yep. you are. You got to fall in love with who you are yeah. what God's blessed you with. I'm a thick man, so I'll make fun of myself, you know, but I love who I am. You embrace it. I embrace it. You yeah. Know? I have my days, but it's like that's that's what believing your sexy means, believing yourself. Don't, you know, think that, you know, I made, a, I made a joke last week about what my perfect 10 is. And I listed all the little things, you know, whatever. But it's just my way of being funny. But I've never sit there and said, I only love this type of woman. Mm-hmm. No, I love all women. Women are beautiful. It just, uh, I feel sorry for some of them because they've been around shitty men. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I, my, I vow to inspire the world to be show them that good men exist that uh, you know to love yourself no matter what you you shouldn't have to be what a, a man think is beautiful you should be what you believe is beautiful oh absolutely I mean and I think that just not just the 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 topic of women but just people in general being able to accept themselves and embrace themselves because unfortunately we live in a society where you know cosmetically people are discriminated just by the way they look you know men uh, you know people you know with uh, with uh, gender identities and, and things yeah. like that. Like, unfortunately there's all, there's, it, it, it kind of runs across the board, but you, my friend, you have an open forum anytime here to keep inspiring the world. Cause you know, I greatly appreciate your message that you send, uh, and, and, and being a part of this. And, uh, this is awesome. And, you know, inspiring the world is, it, it started when people started messaging me, telling me the changes that I made in my life. You know, like you could ask a hundred people what their purpose is in, in life is, and some of them probably won't even be able to answer it. But I always get the common answer of, you know, being that I want, either want to help people or, you know, to be a parent. And I'm like, I'll, and I'll break it down for them. People have said I'm too, uh, I look into things way too much. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. it's called being, it's being, it's wisdom, you know. And I found my purpose in life because people have given me that. Yeah. From the changes I made in my life that I directly impacted others. And in a positive way, and I didn't like mean to do that. It just, I just kept doing the, you know, making the changes in my life, and it directly impacted others. And by that, that's how you become an inspiration, and that's what's given me purpose in life. I know what my purpose in life is is to continue making my life better because by my making myself better is I'm making others better. You know, to believe yeah. in themselves. Just something as simple as a check into the gym or a text or just positive, you know, positive reinforcement every day that your life will get better. It does get better. You just got to believe in it. 
Very well put, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking your time to join me and uh, discuss uh, not only your career, but, you know, one of your biggest influences, Ric Flair, and, uh, you know, how, you know, your, your personal interactions with him um, inspired you, you know, not just in wrestling, but in your everyday life. Yeah. Uh, this is really, it's been really cool, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, a couple questions here. Go ahead. Uh, obviously, your endorsement from Flair personally has probably got to be your, your, your favorite one-on-one -on -one personal moment with him if there is one moment in rick flair's career that you could say is your absolute favorite whether it's a match um uh, uh, an interview uh you name it if there's one moment that defines your um your fandom for rick flair what is it i think it's the cross it's either up throwing it up between there's there's three of them flair dusty Flair Ricky Morton and Flair Hawk from uh, Great American Bash. Oh, wow. Like, I, I didn't talk about it, that. That's cool. Yeah. You want to hear a funny story? Well, not funny story, but you want to hear an interesting story? I'll go, go ahead and explain yourself, and then I'll tell you a, a Ricky Morton story. Just, but go ahead. It just that – was, that was Flair. It, it was like that was the ultimate of, like, what Brock Lesnar is now. You know, even though Brock Lesnar people hate because he's he's barely around, but you know what? WWE needs him because if you were to see Brock Lesnar every fucking Monday night, how boring would he be? Yeah, you know, you're you know, absolutely so right. Yeah, it's like, but you have the rivalries, like you know, Flair with these spot matches, like, and, and Flair had this way of just making the good guy like so look so great, especially somebody like Hawk who wasn't really that good. But he was so over that, like, he made him look so good that, like, the people believed that he was about to win the NWA world title. Yeah. So, especially Ricky Morton, probably one of the greatest baby faces up against, like, Ricky, uh, Rick, um, Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat. Yeah. You know, and obviously Flair and Dusty, and, you know, when Dusty won the title. It just uh, that just epitomized flair for you. Yeah, those those moments. Did, I'm, you know, it's funny you brought Ricky Morton up. Uh, I didn't have him in my notes here, but uh, you know, and Hawk too. That was an interesting one as well because I had heard some stuff that you know that they were kind of teasing the idea of maybe breaking up the Road Warriors and eventually Hawk was going to kind of do a, a a singles thing. So back in 2013, during my time on the Ken Reedy show, Ken and I um, we went with. Uh, we got invited to uh, uh, it's a group they're called Wrestle Pro now, but they were once Pro Wrestling Syndicate. Pat Buck, yeah, um, uh, operates the, uh, the the organization, and they had a show in uh, Metuchen, New Jersey, and it was on WrestleMania weekend when they did WrestleMania Giant Stadium. Did they have the signing too? They had a they uh, had, uh, yeah they had like a, they had a, a normal indie. Show. It was like on a Thursday night. Okay, all right. yeah, and it was. Um, that was the year that uh, Bruno Sammartino got inducted into the Hall of Fame. So they had, like, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, um, superstar Billy Graham, Jushin Liger. Uh, so we were guests of uh, RF Video, uh, Rob Feinstein, uh, a buddy of Ken's uh, locally in New York. Uh, his name is Carlos. He does some uh, freelance camera work, and he's done some freelance camera work for Mike in Northeast, in, uh, Northeast Wrestling. And so uh, Carlos was working the merch table for RF Video, and RF Video invited us to come and hang out and uh we didn't work the table but we just kind of walked around so i went and i i was like holy shit the rock i didn't realize the rock and roll express were on the on the card um and it was a pretty loaded show too those shows are like 14 matches those go those shows go like a, 
almost like five hours long. Like they're like long. Like we left about like two hours in because we were like wiped out. So anyhow, before the show, they did a a pre-show meet and greet and then they did an intermission and then you can get autographs at the intermission so i went up to the rock and roll express and i didn't know this and you might know this but down south um at, at indie shows guys don't charge to get your picture taken or they charge very little like at the most they'll charge like five dollars for you to get your picture taken like i guess it's like a thing up north like you know around these parts that that they charge so ricky morton comes over and i said hey can i get a picture with you guys he was and he was like i'm not gonna tell you no he goes but i'm gonna tell you right now he goes these fucking promoters do up here it's highway robbery they're ripping you people off he goes down south we don't charge you a fucking nickel and i was like oh okay and i was waiting to get to the point where like all right well i still want that picture i don't care about your philosophy so he goes he goes come back at intermission he goes fuck this promoter he goes robert and i will take a picture with you we won't, we won't charge you no 25 dollars that they're that they're putting up here i was like okay cool so i go back at intermission i introduce myself to him he remembers me i take the picture I tell him, you know, at the time I was doing stuff on the Ken Reedy show. I said, I'd love to have you guys on for an interview. Robert kind of walked away, but Ricky stood. And so Ricky says, yeah, I'll do an interview with you. Here's my phone number. He gives me his phone number. I was like, holy shit. I didn't even ask for it. He just fucking gave it to me, which I was like, oh, cool. I'm like, I don't think I have it on my phone anymore. But um, anyhow, uh, he, uh, he gives me his um, gives me his phone number, and he, and he says, uh, when do you think about doing this interview? I said, well, uh, you know, when's the best time to contact you so we can get in touch and set something up? He goes, well, I'm going to be on the road for the rest of the week, and then I, I got another tour, such and such, following. so why don't you call me in two weeks? And I said, okay. I said, you, uh, I said two weeks? He's like, yeah, no problem. So two weeks later, I call him, and uh, he goes, so what do you want to talk about? I was like, well, you could tell me, you know, stuff about your career, um, you know, what you're doing now. And he was like, well, that's for the promoter to, to, to do. I'm not a promoter. I'll tell you, you know, we'll talk old stories. And he goes, I'll even give you a scoop. I like, okay, what's the scoop? He was like, when I was working Flair on the Great American Bash 86 or 87 tour, whatever it was, I think maybe it was even later than that. He goes, they had me working cage matches with them for the belt. Main event, sold out. They wanted to fire Robert Gibson and give me a run with the belt and make me a singles wrestler. And he said no way and basically jim crockett promotions didn't put the belt on him because he said if you fire robert i'm quitting they were going to have him beat flair for the title no that's all right don't worry about it um yeah they were going to have him beat flair for the title and 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 he was going to have a run with the belt during one of those tours and hard to believe you don't think you, you don't believe that he was working singles i mean then again it could be him just working me you know, but yeah. I mean, was this before he went singles? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, this was in the heyday of Crockett. This was like the like this what was. did Ricky go singles? It was more towards. Uh, it was more. It was after Ted Turner bought Crockett. Yeah, so that's why it's hard to believe. So this was you know? Crockett. This was during the. This was when Crockett owned it, according to well, him. We don't know. Yeah. But that, I just found that fascinating. I was like, they're gonna dump Robert Gibson, and he stayed. And, but here's where I here, you know what? It's I'm glad you call. I'm glad you're kind of calling bullshit on that because he also said this to me. He said this to me at the at the show that night too, because he kind of alluded to the situation. You know, he didn't tell me the whole story, but he just said, you know, he kind of gave me like the cliff notes. Marty Gennetti was working that show, 
And Marty Jannetty at the time had a broken foot. He was still wrestling. Yeah. And so Jannetty was wearing like tennis sneakers in the ring with his gear and his foot was all fucked up. Like he couldn't even, it wasn't even flat footed. It was like on its side. And Jannetty was working the merch table. And all of a sudden Ricky looks over and he was like, he goes, he goes, I couldn't dump Robert because that guy over there, he points to Jannetty. I said, why? He goes, because I saw what that motherfucker Shawn Michaels did, and look what happened to this guy now. Janetti, he could barely even pay his fucking bills, and he's working all these shows every single week, and you know, for, for next to nothing, and he's got all kinds of fucking problems. It was because of that motherfucker Shawn Michaels. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I was like, okay. But then I thought to myself, if you're telling me that you had this run with Flair for the title in 88, 87, on these Great American Bash summer tours, Michaels didn't split from Janetti till 92 in the WWF. Right. So that's where like my timeline and, and his story kind of like, throw, I'm, I'm glad you reminded me that this might be bullshit. Yeah, but I mean, just like you said about the road, you heard about the role warriors are looking to take Hawk out and do yeah. things. Why breaks, why fix something that's not broke? Yeah. I mean, in every tag team, you're always going to have one guy, I think better than the other, more distinguished than the other. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it's Ricky over Robert, Sean over Marty. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Yeah, you have a hard time. No, I get it. I got it. I got you. I got you. All right, it about wraps it up. Well, one more question. Yeah. Next time you come on, what do you want to talk about? I'll leave the topic open to you. I'll say let's talk about, you know, personal, you know, behind the scenes, the business, the work ethic, family, and the sacrifice that, uh, you you know, gives to your family. You take away from your family. Okay. You know, it's not like I was on the road or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't like when people talk about, like, putting sacrificing and stuff like that when they're just away from mom and dad or a girlfriend. You talk about sacrifice when you take time away from your kids, when you yeah. have your own family. Okay, cool. All right, we will. We, next time we link up, we will uh, talk you know, behind the scenes of the wrestling business and your experiences. And yeah, you're, but you're, you're, yeah, we'll definitely get more in depth in that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much oh, for being awesome. a part of this. This is great. I really appreciate it. Woo! Woo! Another one in the books, or should I say in the archives this week here on Kicking Out of Two. Thank you all for joining us this week, and a special thank you to the birthday boy, the sexy beast, Bull Dread, for joining me. We had a lot of fun chopping it up, covering his fondest memories of his inspiration, the nature boy Ric Flair, both as a fan as well as a fellow colleague. And if you liked what you heard from Dread. Be on the lookout for more of him on future episodes of Kicking Out of Two. He's a fan just like you, just like me, just like the rest of us that love to talk the history of professional wrestling, and I look forward to doing that more with him in the very near future. Tune in next week as Justin returns along with Dennis Levy, who some of you might remember from last week's heated debate on our Guilty Pleasures episode, as the three of us sit down and discuss the Mount Rushmore of tag teams in professional wrestling history. Each of us, we've come up with our own individual lists, and then collectively, after we reveal our lists, we're going to compile the official kicking out at two Mount Rushmore of tag teams in pro wrestling history list. Should be a lot of fun, so stay tuned at soundcloud.com for that next week. All right, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. If you have not already, which you should have by now, but if you haven't, because I won't hold it against you because I'm a nice guy, hit that like button. But if you have, 
then tell a friend to hit the like button. Friends that love to talk the history of pro wrestling, that love to be interactive and be in a positive atmosphere when it comes to pro wrestling discussions on social media. Tell them, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Pictures, videos, debates, discussions, memes, it's all over there. Very interactive, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. And Twitter as well. We're over on Twitter, but our following, it's not as big on Twitter as it is on Facebook, but we'd love your help to make that happen, to make sure that we are up on the same level as our Facebook following. So give us a follow. Our handle is at Kicking Out 2. That's K I C K N O U T and the number two. Uh, like I said, you know, not as big of a following, but, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You got to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So uh, if you want to help us out, give us a follow over on Twitter. All right. With that being said, I think it's time that we, uh, we call it quits. I think it's time to go home, as they say in the business. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Okada and Scroll had a hard time doing that on uh, Saturday night at All In. But we here at Kicking Out of Two certainly don't. So with that being said, we will see you all next week.